This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. And welcome to Chapter Tactics. Another year is dawning on this podcast. And with that year, we have a lot of good and a lot of bad that happened this year in 40k. And I am excited to bring that all to you. Now, I can't do it alone. And as you all are fully aware, Canadians have the best memories out of everyone in the world. At least that's what I've been told. I brought on the three Canadian co-hosts to revel in this year's highs and lows. Uh, so with me, I have Mr. Ridvan Skari. Hello, all. Mr. Val, I've never won a real GT Heffelfinger. Never even won a fake one. And finally, Peter, the I wish I was a Falcon Falcon. Kaka! All right. So... Uh, like I mentioned, today's episode, we're going to be talking about the year in review. Uh, th- there A lot happened this year. Uh, I really want to talk about some of the decisions Games Workshop made. Uh, we can talk about whether they were positive or negative. Uh, you know, look back at the metas, lost army lists, um, and then just generally some of that tournament drama leading up to the LVO coming late January next year. Uh, it was a really fun year. Uh, I thought I felt like this episode made a lot of strides. Um, in the right direction, although obviously I didn't always hit the mark with my episodes. Well, that's to be expected. You can't land a perfect episode every single week. And uh, overall, you know, I was really happy with this year. Uh, Brandon uh, Grant joined this year, as well as Skari, as co-hosts. So, um, you know, it was a good year of growth for the podcast. All right. So... Before we move on, this episode is brought to you by the Frontline Gaming Podcast Network, where you can check out all sorts of good competitive 40k content like Signals from the Frontline, 40k Stat Center, The Art of War, and In the Finest Hour. Uh, You can go to any of those podcasts if you want to check those out. There's a lot of good competitive 40k content in there, so if you're interested in diving into competitive 40k, those are the episodes for you. Also, we are brought to you by FrontlineGaming.org, your one-stop shop for all things tabletop 40k gaming related, like 40k tournament accessories, Frontline Gaming mats, Paint Studios, a second-hand shop, and so much more. And finally, if you'd like to support the show, you can head on over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash chapter tactics, uh, where you can support us for just $5 a month. You get entered into a monthly raffle 
This year's month is going to be a special one. It is more like the raffle of the year than just the raffle for December. I'm going to be giving away one air, uh, I guess, money credit or uh, an airline ticket, whichever it is, uh, to fly someone out to one of the major frontline gaming tournaments. That's the Las Vegas Open in 2021 the socal open in 2020 or the bay area open in 2020 so one lucky patron now what kind what kind of a what kind of a patreon lift have we seen from this insane giveaway like this is clearly insane that you're doing this how many people Uh, have we have we gotten a boost so we we did definitely get a boost um we probably hit where we just surpassed the numbers that we had starting at the patron at the beginning of the year. And as, as um, everyone who's maybe started a patron knows, usually when you start or announce your Patreon, uh, you usually get a high increase of people who join. And then it usually starts to loop down unless you're absolutely killing it. So um, I, we did the same thing. I'm just going to say this. If you're, if you can hear my voice, pay $5 for your chance to fly anywhere from anywhere in the world to where Pablo is. I mean, that's a pretty good deal. <laughs> that yeah. is an excellent deal. I think people should uh, take you up on this. I think so too. Uh, and you know, on top of that, um, it's it's. I don't really care. You can unsubscribe in January. I don't really care. Uh, I did this more important, more importantly, because I could do it because of the support I received from the patrons all year long. Uh, the patrons really helped, you know, in some cases, maybe meet a bill payment on time. They helped with all the price support, the donations that we give out every month. Um, and on top of that, you're all, you all have been very supportive. Uh, I felt like you've also made the episode content better by giving me good, consistent feedback. And also the patron questions at the end of every episode are some of my favorite parts of the episodes that I look forward to recording. So I wanted to give back to the patrons and the community, um, you know, and so uh, it's just uh, my way to kind of give back. And also, speaking of giving back, if you are not a patron, fret not. Uh, there are still ways to win cool, awesome prizes from Frontline Gaming, specifically Chapter Tactics. Uh, you can comment on the Christmas episode coming up later this month where I will be giving away a painted character model, just like last year, painted by our painting studio, to someone, all you have to do is comment in there and go, I want a present for Triple X Heffelmas or whatever. And all uh, you have to do is comment on either Frontline Gaming Not or, or, whatever. or YouTube. Or, it, you know, it you needs can type to whatever be specific. you want. We've got to get the people that are listening. Specifically, <laughs> you have to say it. And if I'm on the episode, I'm going to make a very weird noise at some point, and you have to put down the timestamp of that weird noise. Not oh, counting shit. the weird noise you've already made. Yeah, not the Absolutely. normal Falcon very noises. specific weird noise. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, and we'll you look. could we'll potentially watch. do multiples on the episode. And I then could. At the I could. End throw of the off. episode, release like which one you're going to count. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. We every Christmas episode we usually have a little fun. Uh, so that's just a little chapter tactics tradition I want to start. Uh, look forward to that episode on Christmas. And then finally, I'm giving away another second painted model to one lucky uh, person. You do not have to be a patron. All you have to do is email me at frontlinegamingpdpab at gmail.com. And because people always have a hard time spelling that, that's frontlinegaming.p-e-t-e-y-p-a-b at gmail.com. And just email me a story of what competitive 40k meant for you, what it means to you, uh, how it's affected your life. I've heard so many great stories so far, read so many great stories 
so far. Uh, I've really, really been touched by people who've not only listened to this podcast for for all those years, even through the bad episodes, like the PD Pop solo episodes, which I think some of the worst episodes I've ever recorded, um, but also just through everything, through additions, uh, you know, people who who joined competitive 40k and gone to tournaments because they listened to this podcast or because they listened to you know any of the signals from the frontline or frontline gaming podcasts uh it's just it's been really touching Uh, i competitive 40k this community did a lot for me and my career and uh you know it's nice to hear that other people's lives are impacted as well so if you're interested in winning that second model, all you have to do is email me. I'm going to pick one story. I might read it live depending on the person, um, but the story I like the most, and it might be one that, you know, you, you least expect, you know, try and be honest, but the one I like the most, the one that touches me the most, um, uh, will win a painted touches model. Touches you in so all the good could you make all the Could you spots. make one of these hard? Like, just one of these amazing prizes, like, hard to get? Like, you're not even going to read the thing? Well, you know what, Val, I'll... I will give, <laughs> I will give, um, I will give everyone a model painted by me if you can recount every Space Marine chapter ever published in 40k Whoa. and in a song form, m- typed and emailed to me. So every single every single chapter has to be incorporated into a song, and then we, I will we only sing on Stats Center. I, uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I want to use that material here. And- and, and then that's a lot of complaints. We'll sing the song. <laughs> a lot of complaints about the, Anyways, the singing. That's we not do, serious. We could do don't. like a. We could do like a the uh, countries of the world song from Animaniacs. Mm, the chapters. That's a good one. Mm? Oh, I mean, ideas, yeah, man. Yeah, that'd that. be cool. Yeah, great ideas. So if you're interested in that, that's just not going to happen. But if you want to do the song for fun, go right ahead. <laughs> Anyways, moving on uh, to this episode. So. Uh, this episode is going to be a little loose, a little more fun. It's not meant to be a serious, factual episode, uh, though there are a little bit of stats facts that I kind of pulled from 40 Um But mostly, you know, I, I really wanted to just recap this year uh, because it's been awesome. So first off, January. January 2019 rolls around. We were just about to get into a Las Vegas Open. The Castellan list, if you remember that list, is the boogeyman top list reaching highs as high as 70% win percentages at events. It was absolutely dominant. And then on its heels with a still very dominant 60 plus percent win percentage consistently were Inari. Uh, Inari were and have been the boogeyman for years at this point. And of course, uh, GW just announced the Vigilist Defiant book, uh, which introduced specials detachments and gave people maybe hope for uh, new ways that GW could balance the game. Uh, for the year previous year before, 2018, I'd been talking all year about things uh, that GW could do with stratagems and command points, and the Vigilist book was the first real implication of that, or uh, flex, that GW had with the new command point system, which I really enjoyed. Yeah. So we got the Vigilist Defiant book. We also got the Bolter Drill beta rules as well, right at the beginning of the year in January, so uh, which I was surprised by. I thought they I thought they came later in the year, but they they did. GW really did try to help Space Marines. This was actually on the heels of Chapter Approved 2018. Right, and so we got the uh, Bolter Drill beta rules. And knowing what we know now, they're just they're such adorable rules. They're just really cute. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I remember they really like had a, a little impact. Nothing Scarry, crazy. Scarry knows knows Lionel. He runs a store in 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 our area, and he I remember him like pulling me aside after an RTT, being like, "Bolter Drill, man, orcs are screwed." 
there's all these Marines. They're going to be rapid firing at 24. I'm like, are you serious, man? <laughs> he was like, he's like getting ready to like hide, hide out in his car wrong. somewhere. And, they, and uh, I mean, Boulder Drill helped one Space Marine faction, Death Watch. Uh, they they had uh, sure. that little bit of a boost, especially overseas. Not so much in North America, because really the only guy that plays them is uh, Anthony Demore and uh, Lou. And uh, neither of them are very competitive players, despite what they'll tell you. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, like that was the really the only thing that uh, that Boulder Drill helped was that uh, that poor poor Death Watch army that now Death Death Watch now is almost crushed. like I feel like Death Watch is in that category of armies that like good players like it's like they're with orcs that like good players are always like Death Watch is good got to look out for Death Watch. It's like, well, are you yep. sure? Why are you yeah, saying it's that? always and it's always because no one no one plays them like them, I, I them and Browns fans. Right, yes, NFL Browns fans. We're going to be good this year. No one, yeah, no Browns fan has ever said that. You're right. You're right. That's absolutely true. <laughs> Maybe this year. Anyways, Maybe this is the one year they did. But this, this, I was thinking this year in particular. But yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. But the, anyways, the Bolter Drill, Bolter Drill beta rules did show up. Also in January, a chapter tactics hit episode number 100. Century uh, mark. It was a really, yeah, it was a really, really fun episode where we took it a specific exclusive look at all of the LVO lists. So we previewed the LVO list for the LVO for that year. It was a it was a really fun episode to record. Um, and, you know, I, I felt like it was a really big milestone for the oh, podcast. Yeah. I remember prepping that. Ugh. Yeah, it was it was a lot. We got the the lists early for yep. for that year. So um, last year at the LVO, I, the, we just implemented or this year at Thelvio, we just implemented the uh, list uh, standards, <coughs> the standardized lists. Mm-hmm. And so we had to not only look at them early, we also had to check them. Something yes. that Peter did so well. Yeah, I yeah I spent... I woke up at 8 a.m. the day after Reese sent them to me, uh, or Garrett, or whoever it was. And from like 8 a.m., I want to say till 6 p.m. that day, I looked at lists and typed stuff down. And then I did it again the next day because I was at work. And then Reese messaged me and says, hey, how's the list thing coming? And I almost killed him through the internet. <laughs> Just about almost killed him through the internet. <laughs> I remember. I remember. But now it's kind of cool to see like a year later, right? How like uh, formatting lists and making sure that they're on BCP and stuff is sort of like uh, just a side note. Oh, it's really. so great. It's so yeah. great. I mean, back then, almost all the time, it was like I was doing napkin searches and like trying to. Has it improved, Pete? Screenshots of screenshots. Oh, dramatically. There's maybe like the uh, East Coast USA for some reason. There's a couple of them in there that still just want to upload pictures of stuff. Like um, Nova. <laughs> just a little tournament <laughs> like Nova. <laughs> like just a little tournament like Nova. No, Nova wasn't so bad. Um, so I'm going to call out uh, T.J. Lanigan for having a. Uh oh picture of his list yes he wasn't the only one at that event uh that particular (laughs) event i think that was like what they asked them to do it felt like as i was going through the lists i was like why is this a thing but you know um i would say 99 percent of lists now if not even if not higher um higher than 99 oh yeah they're done up at least the ones the events that i look at i don't care about rtts i mean you guys do you uh, but from a gt or major perspective they're almost all done in like some kind of battle scribe format that's easy to read um, it's usually just like the you know the bottom level guys. Occasionally, you'll get some Space Wolf player that that posts the like full Battle Scribe like HTML version. Yeah. 
that's that's like <laughs> 600 pages but it's but they they did change it to text at least which mm. actually makes it worse because it's just coding and it's just like and you have to like scroll through the coding to be like did he take bjorn is that what that says is this a battalion oh yeah it's great i love those keep up i want that should be the new format for lvo because i would love it <laughs> oh yeah gone are the days when when you'd go to an uh tournament and your opponent would have to fish a yellow piece of paper with pencil written on it and they only you know forget half a list which yeah that's that only happens with reese robbins these days and that's just because <laughs> his phone was too old so yeah that's what well talking about the evolution of like the game and scoring you know even things like the itc battles app and whatnot that recently kind of came into yeah. we're getting ahead of the game used. yeah i know i know okay. but we'll we'll touch on that but i'm saying that just that combined with everything is like really quickly becoming sort of like a paperless sort of format which is really good as well Oh, it's and been I just, great. I mean, I just want to oh. shout out that like the community has been just so open and embracing each one of these steps as one move closer to fascist tyranny, and uh, and yet here we are uh, with <laughs> yep, with a world it where you, anyway, and and yet here we are with a, in a world where we can actually read lists and tos care about posting them so that people can follow along at home and he can do his job and. You know, I can be on a good podcast with him. So, you know, like, it's it's, it's great. And I love, uh, I just I just love, though, that, like, every single step has been, like, kicking and screaming. So shout out, Meta. You're great. Never <laughs> change. Like, if I, I'm just so happy that I haven't once again had to have someone, because this did happen at the beginning of the year. I, I believe it actually was an event in January where a guy went and took pictures of everybody's lists for me and emailed them to me. Um that was the only way I could get the lists. And it was like 70 lists. It was a major. It was great having to scroll through <laughs> the dark times. These, these pictures that a guy took on his like potato phone um, just so that I could have it. It was, yeah. He's like the GW um, rumors guy was like the one getting you all the lists. Yeah. And he, um, he couldn't figure out how to change like the names of the pictures on his phone. So he just like sent them to me and it changed the order of them. So oh, some pages no. I had to like look and like, reorganize like and rename was like list. is this page three of simon's list no why is oh, why is this guy's that was list a really important pages? tournament though i'm sure it, well i mean it was a major so i tried to make sure it happened it was <laughs> but now it, right. it, that's not a thing that happens anymore and i'm super proud of it god bless <laughs> so, all right so moving moving on into february the early february pretty much the lvo was the only interesting thing that i saw happen uh, for 40k in terms of competitive 40k, <clears throat> uh, which was the LVO. Berry Bash, uh, hello. Grant, uh, excuse Barry me. Bash. The Berry Bash the did happen. Thanks there, Val. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yes, yeah, Pablo forgets the important things in life. Uh, yeah, Scary wasn't a co-host back then, so so <laughs> everything <laughs> matter. So I was not important. I see. It's true. Mm, fair enough. All right. Uh, but seriously <laughs> though, uh, the Brandon Grant and the Castellan list did win the LVO. We got a new ITC champion crowned. It was Brandon Grant. Uh, who did win the ITC championship along with the uh, Las Vegas Open? And this was this is a really fun Las Vegas Open. Uh, there were, you know, there was the first year of the Ghost Round or the Shadow Round uh, that you <laughs> had to only watch at Frontline Gaming after dark on the Facebook group or Facebook page live streamed, where you can actually still watch it, uh, where you watch Sean Naden complain about playing late into the night and then absolutely crushing his opponent and then going into the top eight. Uh, which I thought was really funny. But yeah, it was a good top eight. Uh, we had teammates, Michael Snyder and Brandon Grant, play each other in the semifinals. And then we had Brandon Grant win 
at the top table against Mr. Alex Harrison. Yeah, Castlin uh, versus Inari. Yep. Um, it it really no, but I mean, like I, I don't say that so much as a joke because that it really kind of epitomized um, the meta where it stood, and this was coming right off the heels of a chapter tactics episode um, where we kind of heard that we could really expect the like that this would be like the last gasp of those two lists and while it did take another couple months um it really kind of was a sign of the times right that this was kind of like the last the last really good showings uh for these particular uh list archetypes right that's true yeah yeah and and i kind of like that the the uh, even though we didn't get an inari and castle nerf until later on in the year i'd love that every year everyone kind of collective collectively refreshes and starts to try something different with the exception of Inari who stuck through entire editions changes. Uh, a lot of the, uh, if you look after the Las Vegas open, after this, after the ITC season, there is a lull of tournaments and then people jump into it, but there's different lists that pop up, which is really cool. And this year there was no exception to that. Uh, uh, everyone kind of expected the Castellan and Inari to get nerfed. Uh, and this coming year, maybe possibly Space Marines will will see a dip in play rate um, because people will be expecting them to get nerfed in in uh, April in the spring FAQ. So that's kind of yeah, cool interesting. That that. Yeah, people self nerf like Yanari specifically too. Like I I I, uh, I do recall that people just assumed it was over for Yanari and they just stopped playing them. Yeah, like Even a lot long, of the long before anything players. actually happened. Yeah, yeah yep. a lot of the big name players dropped them. Now, some uh, said it was because they thought orcs were going to be too strong versus an RA, which was probably true. But um, the thing about orcs was not too many people picked them up on the North American side. Um, but uh, yeah, like Anari dropped uh, their their play rate went up, but it was the table like the people that were playing them changed. Right, it wasn't those same you know ITC top twenty guys that you that you constantly see uh, saw uh, running the lists. Right. Um, the castle never went away, though. People, they hung on to that sucker until it was a dying beast. Like, it took a, that 100-point increase before people actually kind of put it aside. Yep. Uh, now, one thing that happened uh, for the patrons in February, late February, and for the rest of the, the Chapter Tactics listeners in March, was that Jeff actually gave us a sneak preview of how powerful Space Marines become. Uh, in the special exclusive LVO bonus episode where we mm. talked to uh, Jeff, Brandon Grant, and Mike Snyder about the Las Vegas Open. Uh, we discussed the new assassin rules, which had just surfaced up in March as well. Uh, I believe we were getting previews for them in February or late or early March, which yep. is where the time frame I'm talking about here. Uh, but yeah, if you listen to that episode, you remember Jeff said everyone was going to be playing Space Marines. They looked very, very strong. And lo and behold, here we are now and uh, we'll get the to it October, space November. Yeah. Um, so that was a really good episode. And actually, if you, I, I had, you know, um, it was vintage Jeff. That was one, one episode that I really loved recording with him. I highly recommend going back to look at it. It's not on the chapter tactic. It's not a numbered episode. It's a special episode, but I highly recommend going back and listening to that episode, not only for some great Brandon Grant and Mike Snyder commentary, but also just to hear those, you know, just pre- predictions, um, you know, they're pretty spot on. Yep. Uh, we also had the Gene Stealer Cult Codex come out in February. Um, yep. That saw like a bit of panning uh, from the players that actually ran it, right? Nick Rose said that he didn't think it would be competitive and he was the only guy, literally the only man in the world playing Gene Stealer Cults other than like some guy named Carl in Sweden. Um, 
at the time. So it was it was interesting to see. A lot of people thought it was going to make a bigger a big splash, and then uh, Nick and a couple others came out and said that they didn't feel it was very strong. Um, turned out they were a little wrong because Gene Stuart Colts um, were a very powerful army, really straight up until the Marine release uh, kind of kicked them yeah. in the kicked them in the almost cohodes. literally like like yeah. they hit us a, a wall. Yeah, uh, like they were, they were. Uh, I wouldn't call them oppressive, but they were very, like they were, they were consistently strong. Yep. Uh, very, very good performer. Probably the best, uh, co- like uh, Codex faction as a whole, at least in terms of mono faction, um, that we had up until the Marine release. All right. So in March, Vigilus Ablaze also hit the shelves. The second Vigilus book, the second and only, I think there were only two, right? There were we never two, got, correct. We never got more. Uh, the Vigilus Ablaze hit the shelf, and we got Lord Discordance. And Chaos got some new stuff. So Chaos got this big, big boost in March um, off the Vigilus Ablaze and Lord Discordance. Um, Codex 2.0? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep, and Jim Vessel. Is that in March, really? Yeah, sixty-five point or one hundred and fifteen point obliterators, depending on uh, like what fantasy land you lived in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so at least they've kind of fixed that for sure. Yes, but for it's sure. It's crazy to think that it's it has been like it's March, and it it the, it's so fast. Everything moves so quickly. Some it's things ridiculous. feel like yesterday, man, and then there's yeah, others that I feel like did like. How old was I? Was I 11 when this stuff came out? Like, it's it's interesting just how <laughs> yeah. time works. This is also the year that Jim Vessel, this is also around the time Jim Vessel started his Reign of Terror, which I'll, I'll get to in April. Uh, but Jim Vessel beats uh, Juice, Stephen Four, uh, at uh, Depticon to snag his first big win or a big win. I don't know if it was his first one. I think he had a one G tier major win before Depticon. The uh, but Barry Bash. Oh, he did. He did win the Berry Bash. Uh, no, he actually TJ won the Berry Bash. Yeah, he, uh, but he had done right. okay at the Berry Bash, and then Adepticon um, was like his first big like put him yeah. on the map for the. Yeah, rest he only of the lost season. one game at the Berry Bash. I, I remember that though, because the game before the game scary. the term before Adepticon, he he went like five and one in or four and one in. So all I right. would also say that uh, that that top table was maybe the beginning of a run of very cordial top tables at major events that were kind of in the middle. Absolutely. Of. Yeah. And, and we actually had three episodes this year on Chapter Tactics where we got both players at a top table and they talked about their their game. And uh, all of these episodes were were some of you know the more popular episodes. Um, there was a lot of good tactics talk as well as some gentlemanly sportsmanship. So it, it was really fun and uh i would argue that this year that sportsmanship was definitely something that people were focusing on more uh which we'll talk about a little later i've already got marked down um but sportsmanship was definitely something people were focusing on uh back and forth and on both sides of the spectrum all year i felt uh and then richard siegler mr rookie of the year uh got his first top four of the season this month in march as well so he got his first top four GT, I think it was a GT uh, placement. It wasn't a win. So Richard Siegler came onto the scene in March as well and started his early Tau dominance. And then, yeah, that was the uh, Trailer Park GT, Divisions of the Grim Dark. Yep, yep absolutely. Yep. And then finally Assassins came in on the March White Dwarf and shook everything up, kind of foreshadowing where part of the meta was going to go uh, on the Imperium side. Yeah. Yeah, so. they they made up. They were in what's almost seventy percent of all Imperium lists for for a long time, oh, really, wow. until they got their CP uh, adjustment. 
Yeah, yeah, it was it was really crazy. Uh, and assassins have always been really popular models, uh, run by you know put out by Games Workshop, right? It's just the aesthetic. The models look really cool. The rules are always interesting and unique and flavorful. And so, uh, and this has been true since I started playing at least uh, back in late fifth edition. Um, so it makes sense that when assassins are good, they become really popular, just like space marines. Uh, when space marines are good, they become really popular. All right, so in April, uh, by the end of this month, we would have 12 Tau players make the top fours in GTs and majors. So Tau were actually doing really strong in March and April. And then we also had top players like Richard Siegler, Brian Pullen, and Manny Chima putting up some really good results with Tau as well. That was back when Manny Chima was running Tau. Yeah, uh, yeah, he was running nine broadsides across yeah, I was say. Uh, every bowling ball uh, event he could find. <laughs> yeah, and I was going to say the, the type of talus. Yeah, the type of talus was a little less. Well, I don't know if you call the, the current one very nuanced. Yeah, I do actually. Uh, that one was not nuanced. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. It, it was. Did you bring terrain to this event? If you did not, <laughs> Tau is going to win this one. Are you within thirty-six inches? Too bad. Okay. Also, Jim Vessel, uh, at this point, by the end of this month, had gone 28 and 1 in top four, top four GTs and majors for April and March. So th this was, for those of you, because I, I did a couple emails about this, um, you know, we were talking about like why Jim, but we talked about Jim Vessel so much. Um, he, at this point, March and April, been absolutely dominant and then put up really good results, kind of not sporadically, but consistently throughout the summer uh, and then it only recently started underperforming uh, with a kind of poor result at the bay or at least by his standards uh, at the bay area open and um uh, now it's been busy wait. opening a restaurant ba not bao bao i'm sorry socal top table I sorry so so yes. socal, socal when he when he'd already decided to to drop <clears throat> demons because of the uh, marine release yeah yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, Jim Vessel's 28-1. Uh, this is also the month of the big spring FAQ where the Castellan and Inari were nerfed. And gentlemen, I did include a link in the show notes to this FAQ so you could see. It was a huge FAQ. It was the biggest, the biggest FAQ change that I think GW put out all year is that it had done so much. It changed uh, the way models with fly can charge units. Um, flyer fly base is no longer blocked. There was kind of a weird wobbly model syndrome, you know, rolling. Um, there's just a ton of stuff. Data sheet updates, bolter discipline changes, um, rotate ion shields, and knights kind of not only got the castell nerf, but uh, rotate ion shields could no longer give a three up invuln. Uh, the assassin stratagem got nerfed from uh, one CP to two CP, which if looking back on it now so assassins were dominant for not very long they were only dominant for like a month and then they got their two cp nerf in april mm -hmm. so but they were, I, I remember distinctly thinking like oh shit assassins are so good they're everywhere and i i just i didn't realize how fast gw acted on nerfing them i, I don't know I how mean, much they still saw a lot of play at okay. i don't yeah i don't i also don't know how much that was a nerf so much as people being excited to use them and then maybe come to the conclusion that they didn't really need it. Maybe. That's a good throwing that out there. And, and the other thing about the 2CP nerf was it just made sense, right? Like, it uh, at 1CP, there was no reason to take an aux detachment with 1, right? And even though GW pushed it as an option, um, because you're still spending the CP regardless. So at least at 2, it felt like you had the... It, it was giving you another another option like ah oh, you know if i just want to take that one guy 
and not bother with the Pokeball option, um, I can spend one versus spending two. Um, and we'd already kind of started to see a drop in the assassin usage. It had gone from about 70%, like I mentioned earlier, to about 50. After the 2 CP drop, it was down to about 28. And it stayed at about 28 until... Um, until really the Marine release, uh, that was kind of what has almost completely killed it. You barely see it anymore. Yeah, and what I loved about this FAQ was it really felt like the kind of FAQ you would expect like a competent game designer, game developer to put out. They they reasoned everything. I'm not saying they're incompetent. I'm just saying that this was the most polished, you, you know, conclusive, really, just really solid FAQ that I think they'd put out to date. Um, it was really good. I felt like it left the game in a really good spot uh, until Forge World kind of came in, which we'll talk about um, a little later. But it was a good FAQ. It was. It was also it was really. I, I felt a lot like very reactionary, right? And mm-hmm. then it it op- it not only did it fix a lot of stuff, it did sort of like open up a lot of things that were like not issues before. You know, it kind of had quite a big impact on the meta. Probably the most mm-hmm. impact we've seen from an FAQ and eight. And that's a fair point too, right? I'm I'm looking at it more from rose tinted glasses. Uh, but yeah, I absolutely definitely did impact the meta, and for some people that might have been a negative thing, negative change. Anyways, the FAQ April FAQ did happen, uh, and uh, things changed uh, in May. Uh, we had more Jim Vessel dominance, uh, but also TJ Lanigan started putting up some big wins and it felt a little bit like a tj lanigan versus jim vessel kind of month um they they were kind of trading blows back and forth winning gt's majors top boring uh and then jeff highlights the end of may with a win at the bay area open uh over jim vessel on the final table with a, a guest appearance from richard siegler at table three uh due to a 31 31 tie with yep. his opponent ruben oh, his that was beautiful a, run of that ties. Was a good day Am I am I incorrect in recalling that Jeff also workshopped that list kind of on the show, like a, like a few weeks before that he was like eh, I'm kind of looking at yeah. these these options. I don't know. What do you guys think? You think this is any good? <laughs> Remember yeah. being well, he's like, been running. He'd essentially run that like uh, a similar version to it, but he had the Castellan in it, right? Uh, up until the the FAQ, and he was like, well, you know, I just want to be that guy. Yeah. What was so the, he, was, he won an event immediately. Maybe that's why I'm there. He won an event immediately before the BAO with yes. the Castellan and the and the Grav Tanks. And I think that's that the, the one where... Uh, battle for LA. It was at Los Angeles CT. Battle, yeah. Yeah, Battle, battle for LA. Yeah, yeah that, that was the one, one where you kind of spit all the list, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, and then also, I, I completely forgot to mention this. Um, I I'd alluded to it in April, but also at the end of April, a little old forge world unit called the caladius grav tank uh was put out into the world by forge world uh and that is where we had the rise of the caladius grav tank and the caladius grav tank meta that led to all sorts of meme worthy pictures like green printed (laughs) caladius grav tanks and grav tanks and such on top of buildings yeah now to be fair the caladius had already been available for quite some time right because it was a 30k model um we actually saw it at a triple caladius list at lvo um that played against a castle and got wrecked because the castle was so strong um this was what the faq did uh really by killing the castle uh, was it let some of these other uh, units that, you know, looked good on paper, but you just wouldn't take because the castle existed show up. Um, like uh, we see Jeff run the Kalidus, but uh, overseas, if you look like uh, Malik Amin Rubio, uh, Conrad uh, Barkowitz, 
um, and his brother. Uh, there's like a there's four or five guys that win um, events essentially with triple grav tank plus something else lists. Um, it it was it was out there already, but they just needed the castlin to disappear so that they could you know take over and make a million frogs or whatever happens when your predator stops existing. Actually, the loss of the castlin really impacted the meta as well. It, oh, it allowed absolutely. vehicles to be played, right? Or at least yeah. certain vehicles, like tank commanders, which had seen some kind some kind of side play out of guard for a long time. Um, yeah. won a couple small GTs, all of a sudden they were everywhere because, you know, the one thing, reason why you couldn't really, you know, run at a, at a major at tank commanders was the castle and just picked up to a turn. Yeah. Um, it yeah. really did change like how the game was played, not having that model in existence or yeah. Yeah. in a much smaller form. Yep. Uh, so, uh, yeah, the, the, the rise of the Kalidus Graph tank was in April and also chaos horde lists. And that was kind of, uh, leading to the TJ Lanigan Jim vessel kind of, going back and forth in may now june june was probably the busiest month tournament wise um of all the months from what i've seen i don't have all the data like like peter does but yeah. there were a yeah, lot was, of tournaments in june it was a good idea to start a tournament centered yeah. uh, podcast where we you cut where we first promised to cover and give due to every event genius um, move in the month move. in the month where we were getting like eight to eleven events a week um, and like most of them actually being major sized. Like. Yeah. The, so um, the uh, the there was a chapter tactics kind of mid season roundup um, happening up in June. We were all kind of trying to figure out uh, what the new meta was looking like. It would looked more diverse than what it looked like in January and February. Um, so everyone was really hungry to get their lists ready for the big summer swing. And then of course we had a little uh, you know podcast come out here and start the Frontline Gaming Network called 40k stat center uh which i think peter and val can talk a little bit about because uh it was a little interesting to hear how it kind of came about right um so uh val how did 40k stat center kind of like form how did it form uh it was, it was yeah tell us, uh, tell a crackpot I, its origins were, were just in sort of a crackpot idea i had for a long time i think uh in frustration of hearing myself uh make very lukewarm hot takes uh, about things I didn't really understand amongst others. I thought there was a really good space um, out there for actually hearing from players and talking about their own experiences and explaining their own lists and how they actually worked. And um, And I thought that would generate a lot of good spin-off content for shows like this and others to talk about. And at the same time, a little bird flew into our lives that was perhaps uh, had more uh, more information in his head about what was actually happening right now than anyone else ever has. And I think I can say that with great confidence. That, of course, is our associate Peter the Falcon. And uh, and then I, and then you cajoled me, which was kind of funny, because uh, I, I kind of mentioned this to you, and actually Scary separately. I was saying that I think this would be a good idea. And you both said you should do that. And Scary actually threatened to steal it from me if I didn't do it. So I guess that's totally did. I was like, <laughs> if you don't use it, you actually set a date too. We were like, we were like, if if I, you don't do it by this time, it's fair game. I was like, fair enough. <laughs> and then like two weeks later, you're like, here's the pilot. I was like, awesome. <laughs> yeah. <good. laughs> and uh, and honestly, like uh, as much as maybe I, I I had an idea, like Peter has you know been the only reason the show could possibly exist for a lot of reasons so uh and i'm glad it's generally been well received um you know out and about at tournaments people seem to be listening to it and it's cool chapter tactics for the record still destroys 
everything else on the Frontline Gaming Network. So way to go, Patreons. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. kind of funny to me. Way to go. How you guys, you, Pablo just crushes it. Like, he crushes everybody. Number one show uh, on the network. I, b- I blame his his just charismatic appearance in general. <laughs> I think I think the show thrives to, in spite of my uh, talking, my hosting. But uh, thank you very much. Um, it, it really and really the Frontline Gaming Network. We don't we don't like to talk numbers. We don't we're not really a, an open uh, podcast. Mostly because Reese Reese is the one who who actually owns all of it because it's part of Frontline Gaming. Um, but we you know we're very he owns distribution. I think that was very clear he in does, our contracts. <laughs> um, but we own, or we're, we're a very large uh, podcast. You know, we have you know thousands of listeners. Uh, the Frontline Gaming Network pulls in thousands of listeners a month, um, and it, it's it's really cool to see kind of how not only uh, Chapter Tactics grew, but how all of the podcasts have grown now on the Frontline Gaming Network. Uh, and also, speaking of uh, podcast growth and the Forty K Stats Center starting up other podcasts that also expanded this year too uh we had i i don't know when exactly uh vanguard tactics steven box started um with his streaming i don't know if it was maybe this year uh, but he definitely blew up later on in the year in popularity due to a very specific thing that happened which we'll talk about later on in the episode uh but also uh, it felt like a ton of 40k podcasts specifically focused around competitive 40k popped up this year it was it was really really cool to see there's a lot of hype there's a lot of maturation in the community around tournaments, around 40k. There were even talks of about 40k going pro, whether where you would, whether you wouldn't. And all of this led to the legitimacy of tournament 40k and how people, you know, treated it. Right. Amen. It was a, it was a really good year for that. So uh, if you started a podcast this year focused around competitive 40k or blog or produce content in some way, uh, thank you so much. Um, you've most definitely exploded this year to some degree uh, because competitive 40k is really starting to take off. So I think that um, kind of all happened in June as well. Good. Just uh, I mean, just to back it up a, a little bit, I like looking back in sort of the development of competitive 40k as a like ser- game to be taken seriously. Um, actually, I would, I would like I think it really for me the the watershed moment, and I'm gonna get blowback for this, but I think it kind of for me was when Nick Nanavati started his coaching service because that seemed like the dumbest possible idea ever when he first said that at least the internet thought so and i think the internet tends to react that way to anyone going out and trying something new um but um for me that was like the 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 first real mainstream legitimization of of like taking 40k seriously that you might actually reach out for advice and now you know scary is 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 full-time You know, providing coaching and 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 uh, you know content on on YouTube and uh, working here and you know there's other other services that have, have have poked up to like take the gameplay the actual nuts and bolts of how you actually do this at a high level seriously and before that there was still a lot of discourse around like if I lost a game of 40k it was because the other guy had a stronger list than me and that's not the case anymore I mean it is with with some of the Space Marine talk but ultimately. Uh, it's more about what list do you have to bring to even be able to compete, right? So I, I think that's that was the maturity. To me, that's like sort of the maturity moment. And then Peter starting to actually measure the 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 the, the, um, the beta with with actual hard, um, you know, quantitative stats that could show us, you know, what was performing well, and all of these things sort of coalesced. So that coming into this year, I think 40k, like you said, just took this like monster leap forward in legitimacy and. 
I think it's going to keep going yeah. myself. Yeah, we also had some great. We had two back-to-back Greek narratives to end the season. In the the Tony got Tony'd, the Tony Grappando LVO of twenty eighteen, and then this year twenty nineteen, we had Brandon Grant versus Alex Harrison, kind of like classic good guy bad guy kind of match. Um, it was also a really exciting match too. Brandon Grant's such a well-known player now um, that when he won. It, definitely there was a lot of hype there as well so it, it's just yeah. it's been awesome the the narratives have been great um and uh overall i'm really excited for what 2020 brings but heck yeah also in june uh i did a lot of traveling as well i uh this is kind of a side note it doesn't really have anything to do with the grand competitive 40k scene um however i did want to say that i traveled from uh las vegas one weekend to the very next weekend traveling to hawaii and then the following weekend, traveling to Boise, Idaho, uh, for three three weeks, three weekends in a row for tournaments. Um, I didn't do particularly well, as well as I wanted to, um, especially because I didn't do so hot at the Battle for LA the like three weeks before that or two weeks before I started that run. And I was feeling a little more confident, but I had a lot of fun, and I really learned about what it was like to like grind, be a Jim Vessel or a Nick Nottavati or someone who grinds all of those events. Um, and it's so much more doable now than it was four years ago, uh, right? Every tournament I went to, it really felt like I was playing in my you know my hometown or my backyard. Uh, the format was similar. A lot of the faces were recognized. Um, a lot of the people were super nice. And more importantly, there were a lot of accommodations for me and for traveling. There were people who, who said, hey, you should, I've got an Airbnb, I've got a room that you can, you know, uh, split in, or uh, there's this hotel, they're doing a deal for this specific event, or uh, we've got these people, we're all going out to dinner afterwards, so that you never really felt alone. Uh, and that sort of sense of community really kind of struck me, because I didn't felt that way, not even when I played Magic, when I, I, I hit the Magic grind, right? So that was super cool. That's kind of why I wanted to bring that up. And, so and at no July, point did okay. at no point did you run into Mally the Maliceptor like Adepticon 2018. So you dodged that bullet. Yeah, yeah that was oh my gosh, oh, Mally. That was a uh, trigger warning. That was, not forgotten. That was almost that was two years ago. Adepticon <laughs> <This coming laughs> will be the the third that story. You can hear I remember the PTSD. Very, you can hear very, it. very vividly. You know those those <laughs> those uh, those shield captains have never been used. Since that tournament, so I'm I'm dead serious. I I some there were some of the first models I painted for that year. They're a beautiful silver color. They're so cool. Uh, anyways, that that'll be a story I tell later on. But um, I'm gonna put this anyway. I'm gonna put this out in the universe <laughs> right now. If you are the owner of Mally the Maliceptor, you name your price. You get in touch with me. I will buy Mally the Maliceptor off of you and enshrine it oh, somewhere God. somehow. Mm. Oh no. All right. Anyways, uh, <laughs> July, um, the ATC stream uh, happened in July. This was the announcement of the uh, kind of like the the pro tabletop guys coming in there and uh, revolutionizing the way streaming was supposed to be with the ATC stream. And the ATC stream, you, you know, was huge this year. The ATC was four hundred plus people, over eighty teams. Uh, some of the matchups at the on the stream at the event were marquee top player matchups and we actually have a really good chapter tactics episode that talks about everything that's i believe episode 122 uh and that's that's the one where we get juice on who is the captain of the wobbly wobbler gentleman i, I wobbly modelers wobbly gentlemen they weren't the wobbly modelers they oh were sorry the yes he gentlemen. was the, the gentleman yeah, yeah. Um, gamers or whatever yeah 
um, that you know they talked about the there was episode one twenty two, um, so they talked about the ATC. Um, there, there was some more vintage Jeff. I actually just listened to that episode, uh, this morning as I was as I was getting ready and writing the show notes just to kind of like recap because this was kind of a turning point in the year for me. Um, the events that happened after this episode. So I listened to the episode and it's such a fun episode. Um, and the ATC w- was hype. It, you know, I remember at this point in July, Chaos Knights shown up, and knights are already a super popular, you know, model. And so you had the Chaos versions with the really cool Chaos kit, and the Chaos Knights brought. They, I felt like they didn't remove things from that. I felt like they added more to the game and more diversity, which is super cool. Uh, you know, I felt like we were hitting our stride as a podcast, as a community. Um, it, it was July was just a the first half of July was just a really good time for competitive 40k, uh, and the ATC stream was a part of that. Yeah, I remember going to ATC and seeing all the setup they had. It was really cool seeing like how they were doing it, and and uh, got to go with the the wrong way kids, you know, Paul Murphy and crew. So that was really fun, yeah. uh, and that was a fantastic like this huge event, you know, four hundred people or so. Oh man, it's nuts. Yeah. Um, Peter, do you have anything else to add? No. I mean, you, you guys are, are killing it. This is what happened <laughs> this year, man. I'm a numbers guy, but uh, yeah, it's just uh, July. I mean, we talked about this pre-show. June, July, parts of August really felt like uh, the meta had hit its stride. Uh, very diverse. Um, factions like Necrons that a lot of people had discounted were starting to see top fours. Um, orcs, which were on and off people forgetting existed and then would win like three or four events over the course of two or three weeks. Um, like everybody had a chance. The Caladius Grav Tank may have been like the kind of big boogeyman out there, but not a lot of people were running it at the time. So it was still free reign for a lot of, uh, a lot of lists. It was, it was really nice. It was a really good time to report on these events, even though there was a billion of them. Um, yeah. because like there was always something new, right? It wasn't just the same two or three lists kind of rocking up and, and winning everything. So, yeah. And then, um, so I'm sorry, I'm already getting a little emotional. Uh, so then at yeah. the end of the month, uh, we, we, uh, so, um, so, uh, I, I didn't. I never really talked about this publicly. Um, you know, there was an episode on it. I think it was actually an amazing episode. It was uh, titled uh, "The The Emperor Knows His Name," uh, where we talk about the history of competitive 40k, talk about some of our our great 40k conquests. So that that featured uh, Paul Murphy um, from you know the Forge Narrative podcast, uh, Reese Robbins, and myself. Uh, and you know, it was a really good episode. Um, but uh, you know, on July 20th, Jeff passed away. And, um, you know, I hit a bit of a rut, uh, as a, as a, um, content producer. I thought I could do this. I thought I was like, this is going to be smooth sailing. No, dude, it's okay. Hey man, like, you know, Jeff, Jeff, you know, was touched a lot of us. Um, and it was just crazy sudden. So, you know, of course, condolences to him and his family, but he was he was such a such an influential part of our community and uh just hearing hearing of him pass i know affected each and every one of us in a certain way 
and uh and uh you know the what we can do to remember remember him and kind of honor his memory and what he was doing for the community at large at a global scale i think that that's you know that's that's um something that'll sort of uh take that legacy and just you know continue with that legacy onwards you know uh, yeah. uh, from now until from now until the end of times you know yeah so rest in peace <clears throat> jeff in control robinson and uh and uh it's not going to be the same without you brother yeah so to this point um the it you know it'd been such a role it had been so much hype um and uh you know um August rolls around and I really felt like the community kind of stopped uh, for just a little bit. Uh, collectively as a community, we all rallied around uh, Jeff's passing. We, we all paid our respects and then kind of took a collective deep breath and then moved on because we had the ETC come up in August. Um, and at this point, I, I, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do with the podcast. Uh, and so I brought, I, I decided to wait. Um, and then the ETC drama kind of picked everything up where it left, where, where that kind of hole left off. Uh, and then that got me going again. And then of course we brought on Brandon and Scary, who've been so helpful, uh, co-hosting on the, on the show. And, uh, August rolled around and we had a really, really good ETC. Uh, I think it was probably oh, yeah. the most memorable, uh, the team USA was the were the front runners, the the favorites to win the entire thing, and uh, they went they went four and two. Um, which spoiler alert, uh, they lost to uh, Team England and uh, I think Team Australia beat them too. <sighs> they went four and two. I forgot who they was really close. Yeah, maybe Team Russia. I don't know. Any either way, uh, Team England did end up winning the ETC, and Team Australia did phenomenally well. They were kind of a Cinderella story, uh, and the the big talk around the ETC was uh, Jeff's passing, and also Nick Notavati not making the USA team this year, right? And so that was something everyone was looking forward to. That, not being selected know, for it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're not being selected for it, not making it, not being selected for it. And we actually <laughs> had Nick Notavati on the podcast uh, where he talked about it, and you know he got. He he was really honest. He he wasn't. He didn't try to sugarcoat things. He, he pretty much did his Nick Nottavati Nick Nottavati way of just saying what it is and and being honest and being direct. Um, and it was really cool. It was, it was drama that that you kind of want in an event. It wasn't a sportsmanship issue. It wasn't cheating drama. It, it wasn't serious drama. It was competition drama. It was the kind of stuff that I've always wanted in competitive 40k. It was villains and heroes narratively. Uh, it was tournaments and competition competition and camaraderie. It, it was just everything I loved about 40k all wound up into one event, um, mm -hmm. which I thought was amazing. I, I thought I thought it was it was so great for it to come out at that time and give everyone a boost, um, and it was a good ETC. Uh, and so that happened in August. Uh, we got if I could, if I could just uh, our, oh, go ahead, just no. say say one thing about about that ETC that I think I don't know if if uh, I know this is the chapter tactics review, but nonetheless, for from a forty k stats center perspective, that that episode is by far I think our our my favorite episode, maybe our finest work, and I think. It's because you can listen to it and 
not necessarily know it's about 40k it's it's like the story of four national teams experiences at at the at the etc there's very very little that's actually um you know nuts and bolts um tabletop action it's a lot of it's a lot of just the story of the tournament and they're like actually your words are kind of what inspired 40k stat center way back when which is the idea that like um if you're thinking of like narrative versus competitive competitive has its own narrative and that's the story of the players as they go through the tournament and i think that etc episode did that the best i think that's the time we've ever nailed it so that's my plug for my I favorite agree. episode of that yeah, yeah. no you're 100 percent right like the teams that showed up the fact that Australia comes in, almost wins the whole thing, ends up coming in fourth, I believe, when Third. it was all said and done. But just like out of nowhere, nobody ever, nobody believed they would be competitive. Uh, Team USA going f- uh, four and two, but like the the struggle that they had in preparation because of the loss of Jeff, um, you know, going in with a almost entirely brand new team. Um, like some of the stuff that Adam Abramowitz uh, was posting up um, in his like vlogs during the event. It was just amazing. The story of Team England, the story of even Team Russia. Like, there was so much at that event. Um, I believe it was after that that, that uh, Nick was on Best in Faction or some other podcast. I can't remember. And he and he said, and, and it, was one, it was something that I firmly believe that, like, team tournaments are, like, they're just such a great way to experience Warhammer. They're probably the best way. Um, to experience this game um, because they forge these amazing narratives that you don't get in, a, a, as well, at least in most singles events. Yeah, I agree. And uh, I played in my first ever large, te- large-ish team tournament in September. Um, it was only eight teams. It was also 40 people too. So, you know, I say large, but, um, and there, there really are truly uh, an event that everyone I think should try at least once with a group of dedicated buddies. Um, they are absolutely the most fun way to enjoy competitive tournament 40k in my opinion uh team events are fastly ever since my first uh bout at the etc in 2018 they've been the most fun i've had at a 40k event so i highly recommend it let's not forget your formative years beating us in the final round at the canhammer team tournament not, not to derail the conversation but uh there that was before we went into it yeah that yeah. was um good time. Cash Money Hammer. Cash Money Hammer uh was close, but I think uh we baited you pretty hard that that uh that yeah. time. Yeah, that's that's covered on an old old episode too. <laughs> Moving on. Uh so also in August we had uh Cladius got nerfed. So the Cladius Grab Tank did get nerfed in August, uh, and that kind of ushered the way into a new era of uh competitive forty K a, a a dark era, right? Because we we'd really Ooh. we'd just come off of this we just come off of this great, great, you know, finish to uh halfway point, um, halfway point finish to the season. Uh, we had a really, in my opinion, we had a really, really diverse um, scene. And if you don't think it was diverse, uh, take a look at top fours now compared to top fours in, in April, May, and June. It, it is night and day. Um, we got Space Marines. Space Marines were being previewed. And every, I, I will never forget this because when Space Marines got previewed, my first thought was, oh no, they look too powerful. Oh no, oh no, no, no. But everyone else loved them. Chaos Space Marines got the Shock Assault rule with the Space Marines. So Chaos Space Marines got a buff. Space Marines were getting all these cool things with their supplements. Everyone was hyped. I, I just, I remember everyone thinking, this is, 
this is going to keep going. It's it's going to be great. Space Marines are going to diversify the meta. But uh, there was a little article in September called uh, No... Basically, it was the September FAQ. And in the article, GW specifically stated that the meta was in a good place and that there would be no balance changes for that month at all. And I remember yep. reading that. And, and I actually have a link to the article here uh, for you guys to <laughs> click on. It's on Warmer Community page. Uh, Robin, the head rules designer, the, the head of rules writing. I'm not sure what exactly his title is. Um, Robin from GW, you know, they interviewed him. And he said that the meta was in a great spot. And at this point, it really was. But when did, I saw that, it, I thought... Was the next paragraph, did the next paragraph start with the line, hold my beer? Yeah, right? Like, it really felt that way because, I, I you know, to me, I, I'm not... I am not a playtester. I do not have a you know insider information six months in advance, right? I like like Jeff was or, or like Reese and Frankie, um, but I definitely knew that Space Marines were going to be good. Like just looking at the previews and looking at the rules, right? And we do get advanced copies as content producers, right, for review. So I I was I loved Space Marines. So part of me was torn. Um, but I was really, really nervous because I'd seen what a a kind of average Space Marine Codex did in the sixth edition with the, or seventh edition with the Battle Company. I'd seen those percentages with the Battle Company when the Battle Company was competitive. It was it wasn't competitive like it would win events. It was competitive like it was good enough to go four and two, and that's what made it oppressive. That's what made it uh, one of the big gatekeeper armies of seventh edition, and that's what made seventh edition unfun. Right, so I yeah. knew the capabilities of Space Marine players when you gave them an overpowered, strong codex. So I was really worried. August rolls around. Uh, we actually had some other big changes, big things that happened in August as well that made August really fun. We, so August was mostly a, a lot of hype, a lot of calm before the storm. Um, we had a Richard Slieger win, won Nova. Uh, Jim Vessel also did phenomenally, had some more dominant wins. We also had the Atlanta Open announcement, um, which actually just happened a week ago now. I think probably two weeks ago now when you listen to this episode. Uh, but that was the one with the, the biggest cash prize in 40K, competitive 40K history. Uh, and that was won by Richard Siegler. And so we had a lot of good. And then September comes. So uh, we get the, at the beginning of September, we get the no balance changes announcement. And then the London GPT happens and we get an idea of what Space Marines do to the meta. And it was interesting. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm sure you guys want to talk. I, I've talked for a lot. I'll, I'll yeah, I just want to say one thing. I think the the craziest thing about the, um, that like there's no changes, uh, like we don't see any changes that'll, that'll be necessary or whatnot. Um is like two days later they did the Iron Hands preview, which has to be the most insane preview they've done of any faction <laughs> ever. Like, usually when they preview a faction, they give you like some garbage warlord trait that no one will ever take. Um, they give you a stratagem that's in like three other codexes, and then they'll show you like a new character. And one of those, and then and so you get a feeling you're like, okay, this sounds pretty cool. I'm just glad my faction's getting an update. Iron Hands comes out, and they're like, here's this new character. Here's a stat line and what he does, and it's bonkers. And so everyone's like, he's got to be 200 and some odd points. That this is insane. And then they're like, here's this warlord trait where you can just move six inches before every, like essentially as, as soon as any combat phase starts. And you're like, oh, that's super good. And then they showed off the Iron Stone, and literally. 100% of all Warhammer players went, this is broken. 
Yeah. Um, and this was like two days after they were like, everything's fine. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Um, like you, you and I had had really good talk about, uh, and like, I, and you even brought it up on a couple podcasts, Pablo, like space Marines, like you said, looked amazing. But, um, when you were building lists with ultramarines, um, or with uh, white scars, cause we knew those supplements right away. Um, what you did find was you were like, you know, this isn't, this is a really good list, but it's not necessarily a take all comers list. Um, you know, this doesn't do that well against Eldar flyers or against, you know, knights, but it does so amazing against everything else. Right. Um, you, you had some really great insights about like your Pokemon reference that I, I, I was like, this is the only time I think you've ever said something intelligent involving Pokemon and Warhammer together. Um, um, because it made sense. Like they just, you couldn't fit all the good stuff in. But then Iron Hands, and you're like, oh, wait, they don't need to anymore because everything is amazing. Um, and yeah, then we get this really oppressive start to the you know fourth quarter of uh, 2019. Yeah, yeah. So uh, well said. Um, so for recap, uh, Repulsors, Executioners came up big this month. Uh, the London GT... Show with Steven Box and, and and other people playing Ultramarines showed us just what Space Marines were. And at the time, the spa- Ultramarines lists that you saw, or White Scars lists that you saw, were kind of small previews of what Iron Hands and Raven Guard lists looked like, right? Uh, you saw like triple Ultramarines Repulsor Executioners, which were like which were cute and good, or really strong at the time. But the Iron Hands rules were just going to make those lists so much better. So you already started to see the shift towards the powerful lists that would would dominate for that time frame um and then something interesting happened the iron halo happened right and so we're kind of all i was at least i was i was holding my breath waiting for the big you know rush of of powerful space marine lists and it never came um other than the london gt the iron halo happened which was the i think the largest gt in the u.s or the largest major in the u.s to that point or one of the largest and not a single space marine player made the top four this was right at the end of september uh right after iron iron hands had already gotten released so we had the rules iron hands looked strong space no space marines made the top four at the at the iron halo which gave everyone kind of a false sense of security um obviously iron hands weren't allowed at the iron halo so i think if they had been we would have had a different kind of mentality going into october and then on top of that we also had a a huge video blow up and i don't want to say that it was it did take away from kind of everyone's eye off of space marines um but in a positive way because uh steven box put up a video called uh, his his yellow flag or his opponent's yellow flag at the the london gt which which blew up card yeah the yellow card um it blew up all over the internet like he got bbc interview requests like you know hundred thousand views easily uh it, it sportsmanship became this big front point right and talking point that everyone talked about right and, and so that was kind of the big storyline actually going into september it wasn't just space marines it was this sportsmanship thing which which I, I thought was a very interesting narrative as well um october hits and we we see the the 40kstats.com page start to change dramatically. Uh, and this was actually um, a very controversial point, not, not only for this podcast, but for, but for content producers in general, because I felt like as a community, all the podcasters, we had like Colin Sherman put out uh, an episode about how strong Iron Hands were. And then Chapter Tactics put out a very controversial, very negatively received episode uh, yeah, about um, what... 
blah, 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 what we could do to nerf Iron Hands. And a, a lot of it, you know, some of it was hyperbole. Uh, it was definitely a uh, hyperbole, whatever, know. however you pronounce that. No, hyperbole was right. It was, know, but it was, I, don't, I also um, don't know that it was hyperbole. It, 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 some of it was. I listened back to the episode a couple times just because it, it received so much hate. And I, I felt like it was a really good opportunity to um, kind of see how I could improve that the podcast. And so there definitely was some things, even things that I said, um, that if you were a Space Marine player, if you were a Space Marine fan, um, you definitely, it definitely would have construed as like, I, I want to, I wanted to be like a big bad guy. And, and, and you know, and, and I apologize for that. If you were someone who listened to the episode and were outraged, um, but I felt like the message I was giving was crystal clear and warranted completely. And that was that GW needed to do something about Iron Hands. They needed to do something about this now not only not only just for uh you know the uh meta stake but also for uh, the way people perceived their game right because if they didn't change something if they didn't change the optics of what they were doing and they did nothing about the iron hands that would change how people played the game and how people looked at competitive 40k and it would honestly undo a lot of what we've been working towards as a community for the year so i was i was that was the, on the forefront of my mind when I made that episode, and I wasn't the only one, um, w- which I think is the most important thing. So I just want to like if, uh, if, ahead, if Pete Val. hasn't felt used and abused uh, by my megalomania yet in the course of this podcast, I just want to say that when the Iron Hand stuff was going down, um, obviously I'm chatting with 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 Pete about this, and I'm like, is it as bad as like everyone's reacting? And Pete's like, oh, it's worse. And I'm like, uh, how fast? How fast could you maybe have that? That together, you think we can squeeze one out by Tuesday? <laughs> and yeah. then I and then it I made was... him comment. And then you 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 could tell the story, but Pete Pete basically um, took a year off his life, uh, getting all the stats from that week. It was a busy weekend. I was actually really lucky that we had a pretty pretty nice sample size from that first yes. real full Iron Hands weekend. And Pete just went to town, getting as much actual quantitative data as possible. And you can tell the story from there. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I actually, um, if you don't mind, Peter, there's some there's some stuff that uh, I think I'd prefer to tell the story. You tell it. Sir. I know. I'm I'm sorry. I know I'm cutting you off, and I know listeners hate it when I cut off the co-hosts. Um, but there's some stuff uh, that that I can't say to, for NDA purposes that I don't want said on this podcast. But basically, uh, GW got the message loud and clear. 40k Stat Center put out an Iron Hands episode. Uh, Reese put out something on Sigma Slim from the line. There are other people all talking about an Iron Hands and there was definitely a lot of pushback uh, and you know about nerfing Iron Hands because they were a new supplement and, and they were something that Space Marine players have been looking forward to forever. Um but GW it, it really looked like GW heard us loud and clear because they put out the Iron Hands FAQ and I thought the Iron Hands FAQ was was really well done. Uh they nerfed what they needed to. It didn't feel like the faction or the supplement you know, was destroyed. Iron Hands still have a place right now in in the meta. They're still um, probably the strongest faction. They're in still the game. probably the strongest Space Marine faction. Um, you know, they GW did a good job, and and that's something I really wanted to focus on in October. Was other than Psychic Awakening, Phoenix Rising coming out, and the SoCal Open, which we'll talk about a little later. This was the overall arching narrative in October at the first half or first half of the month in October. Was Space Marines were here. Uh, they were an issue, and what was GW prepared to do about it? And and 
us as a community kind of collectively asked that question and GW responded with which is which is awesome because it actually gives me a lot of hope for the future right because I know I know GW can't do anything about Space Marines until the April FAQ but I'm confident uh, that they're going to do something when well, they might even they, do something before the April they, FAQ they won't they won't I mean, they do entirely that they can. can they just won't <laughs> Yeah, right. Like they physically can. And and I understand their reasoning, right? They've kind of set down this we are only going to make changes in these X periods, right? right? Um, and so like it's not a knock. It's just I think we just need to stop that narrative of uh, they can't do anything about it. Like it's it's they literally can just put an update on their website and they're done. (laughs) Like ma'am. The chapter tactics intro music. (laughs) Uh anyways, uh yeah, so you're right. Um, they can they can do. I don't know. I, I have a completely different perspective on on GW, um, just myself personally. But regardless, I, I know I know that it's going to get handled, um, and we're just going to have to ride it out until the LVO, and hopefully, hopefully the 40k community and competitive 40k survives. That's that's pretty much it. I think it that. will. I mean, I it's it still will, yeah. we're still going strong, right? We're still getting. Uh, generally, uh, most weeks, you know, four, five, six GTs or majors popping out. Um, it's not like the summer, but it's not going to be. Um, we are seeing a what appears to be um, an, an increase in event drops, so people dropping out of an event after registering. Um, and it can be for different reasons, like correlation, causation, I understand. Yeah. But, um, like, we're looking at 10 to 15% drop rate, uh pre like earlier this year even if you look at my if i look at my numbers from last year um when i was looking at that and when i talked to reese he kind of gives the same numbers as what he've how they've how you guys have seen it the last few years 10 to 15 we're now looking at about an average of 25 percent drops um val and i when we interview our tos from across like across the world um we've had a number of them uh, particularly in sweden um Go, uh, say that like marines have caused them to have significant drops in attendance at events because um, people have just like straight up emailed them and been like hey i want to go but i don't want to play marines yeah. and i don't want to play against them I think, um so they're they're looking at like 30 40 percent drop rates in some events there's there's still i think uh you know there's a there's a pretty good bank of goodwill around 40k people are super jacked to play and all that good stuff but i think you'll have pressure on two components of the community those who are competitive but don't want to play marines um so if they can't play the army that they like they're out and also those who are maybe even play marines um but don't want to be in that kind of a like a superpower meta like um i think games workshop to their credit, in the very early days of 8th, reacted very quickly uh, when it was very apparent that, you know, um, 8th edition was a, a turn one, can you blow the other guy away style game. And they instituted a lot of drastic changes to modify fundamentally how 40k plays. And they wanted to, I think, protect the game from getting right back to where it was in 7th, where unless you really knew the nuance and you were playing the right list... You know, it was, uh, it was a foregone conclusion at, after the dice roll to go first. And I don't want to see the game get there. I don't think it'll stay there very long. Um, but it, 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 um, the longer it stays in sort of a you know, coin flip game for a lot of tables, uh, the more damage it'll do to people's desire to come out to tournaments and even play 40K period. Yeah. yeah and we saw that 
best in 7th edition, right? Um, I, I don't want to say history repeats itself, but also looking back at, at 7th edition and, and kind of looking at back at our history in competitive 40k, we definitely know what what an unhealthy metal looks like and how it can affect people negatively, right? Yeah. So and, and I just want to brought a lot of people back. And go ahead. Yeah, and I know, and I want to really underscore that, like in the past, Games Workshop in this edition reacted very quickly to protect the overall game from gross imbalance, maybe with the exception of Yunari, but Yunari at its peak was 5% of the meta, 4% of the meta. One in four exactly. armies uh, in tournaments right now are Marines. So, you know, I think I think a third of all codexes are Marines. So just naturally, Marines are going to be, um, you know, heavily, if, if everyone just sort of picked on the, you know, randomly which army they're going to play, Marines are just going to naturally be out there more. So if they're ultra-dominant, it's going to really unsettle things and, and just make it, uh, you know, uh, kind of disincentivize other players from from wanting to play. And that's that's a bad place to be for a very long time. But, you know, uh, I think at the top end where players don't really care, they just want to, you know, play the best list that's available, they'll keep playing. I think the people who don't care if they win, they'll keep playing. It's the folks who, you know, want to play a certain thing and still have a chance. They're the ones who are going to get kind of turned off, I think. And I mean, there's also the the um, the impact of the best in faction for ITC, where you'll have people like slog out just about anything uh, to get that uh, that little certificate at the end of the year, right? So they'll still bring their their mono faction uh, whatever list uh, Tyranids uh, to uh, to LVO, even though they they're pretty sure they're gonna get their crap pushed in, just hoping to go you know two and four and uh, and pick up that. Uh, that nice little prize at the end. Yeah. Yeah. And so going into the second half of October, um, I, I definitely felt like there was hope. Uh, at least I felt a lot of hope to, for the future of 40 K because of uh, things like psychic awakening. Just so psychic awakening just came out at the end of October Phoenix rising. It was a, it was a good book. It introduced a lot of powerful rules, but it didn't feel like space Marine level powerful. Um, although it is really strong right now, which I guess we'll talk about, or actually you hear more about probably on 40k Stat Center. Um, but it, it was that, and then Brian Pullen uh, won the SoCal Open uh, with Tau and reminded us all that <laughs> there's there's this faction that still exists that isn't Space Marines that can still compete against Space Marines and Tau, uh, and even though it only uses three units to do it, um, it still exists. And uh, since then, I, I've I felt less doom and gloom and more interested interested to see where the LVO takes us. Now, November rolls around. We got our Sisters of Battle stuff. Uh, we got our Faith and Fury Psychic Awakening to give Chaos a boost uh, and give Space Marines a, a little little bit of a boost. Um, and then also Space Marines fully hit the meta at this point, right? So by the time November ended, we had an exact idea of what the Space Marine supplements impact was because all of the supplements had been out already for more than 30 days. So all the tournaments are starting to let them in. Um, unfortunately, there aren't as many events in November, December as the, as June or, or in the summer. Um, so we don't have as big of data as I would like. However, uh, Peter, how, how does the meta look now snapshot, just a real quick snapshot compared to where it was in June? Like uh, what are, what are the top lists? What, what are compared to June? Yeah. Okay. Um, if we look at um, like a post Iron Hands FAQ, so October nineteenth forward. October nineteenth is the first week 
uh, we get to see uh, events where they don't use uh, they where they have the FAQ in place. Um, two days, by the way, after the FAQ went out, um, I believe all but two of the events that were run that weekend uh, decided to just take it on because it was so uh, Iron Hands were considered so strong. Um, Marines are still in a in an excellent place. Um, they hold a sixty one percent win rate once you remove the mirror match, which is. Um, Head and shoulders above the rest, but right below them is um, Craft World Eldar. Um, if you look at events that have allowed uh, the Psychic Awakening uh, book for Craft World Eldar, um, Craft Worlds are sitting at almost a fifty-seven percent win rate, which in any previous time I would have said was extremely oppressive. Um, and it kind of shows just like the the boost Psychic Awakening can give to an army. Um, you're seeing a lot of. Uh, very interesting. I would say there's probably six or seven really good lists out there for Craft World Eldar. The main problem, and the reason why you're not seeing a whole lot of wins, um, uh, Colin Sherman's gotten a couple. Uh, ben Peltzer had one on the East Coast. Um, but like the reason why we haven't seen a lot of wins out of it yet is uh, is more because they still struggle to beat Marines. They've got about a 30% win rate against Marines. Um with the Psychic Awakening book in effect, but they're they're absolutely uh, kicking the crap out of just about everybody else. Um, in terms of Marines, it's very reminiscent of 2018 Inari, where if you look at their like faction versus faction, um, they're really only losing to uh, Thousand Suns and Harlequins. Harlequins see very little play, uh, but that is something that we saw. You know, 2018. I remember saying this multiple times, like. Nobody's beaten an Ari except Thousand Sons, um, and it's kind of holding true again now, um, with uh, with with Codex Marines. So it's interesting. Um, that's basically it. We're still seeing uh, a couple other factions. Um, Admech have been having really strong showings. They can't seem to get that uh, uh, game four win though. They that seems to be a block for them. They're, you're seeing a lot of four and one lists. Um, with Admech, but usually that game three or four, they hit a block and they can't go any further. So we're not really seeing them win anything yet. Um, but with a win rate that they're that they're posting uh, of like 56, 57, it's not out of the question that they'll eventually get it. Nice. Now, something that I like is as the year has continued and as eighth has continued, you know, the, the pace at which Games Workshop has been active in the community has stayed the same. So this year in review, we can really see that the company itself has been very interactive with not only fan base, but, you know, what we want. And it's really, it, it gives you that, that sense of hope that as the game continues to, you know, develop for the next 10, 20 years, that we're just, you know, we're going to have that interaction with them going forward as well. Yeah. I agree. Uh, the uh, James Workshop uh, uh, commercials for Christmas, they have my seal of approval. I've really enjoyed <laughs> them from from GW. Uh, a, a couple good chuckles, at they, least. They do put out some really good commercials. Do you remember the they Speed do. Freaks commercial? Yes. <laughs> and there, there Too was... bad. Too bad about what the, the actual units ended up being. But, may, from, yeah, uh, you know. but man, the commercials for it were fantastic. The yeah, model's incredible. There was one that they got, like, a ton of people, and they're like, like, I'm I'm a, I'm a winner, and I'm a fighter. Yeah. And well, What was that one for? I don't, I don't remember. I don't remember. That was so good. I, it was Probably like, for, 
like contrast paints or something. Yeah, not, oh, I think not it to was be, for uh, contrast paints. <laughs> I just want not to be a Go total ahead. Debbie Downer, but I just want to voice one concern, which is, and uh, especially on the Games Workshop front, I do agree. Like their pace of rules and things coming out and all that kind of stuff has has been great. Um, and I do want to make sure that at least I voice the idea that I hope they realize why things are so good. And that gets back to the idea of making sure that the game is in a healthy place. If they if they lose sight of that, then you're gonna you're you're they're gonna lose control of the community, and they're gonna start getting trolled more, and they're gonna want to be engaging less, and it's gonna be it's gonna be like the way they got driven off of the internet the last time. Um, so I hope they realize the foundation of their success is the health of the game. And that they take some serious consideration towards making sure that at least, you know, that really amazing, because I, I agree with all of you, that stretch in the summer was the best I've ever seen competitive 40K from a, you know, who's got a chance to win a tournament uh, perspective, um, faction and player wise. And uh, I just really hope that they don't lose sight of how important that is um, and that they've realized through the course of 8th edition that, the, that games work, games is in their name and that they should really take that seriously. Hmm. Well said. All right, let's move on to December, where even though we're only halfway through the month, we've still had some big, big things happen in the month. Uh, the first was Chapter Approved came early, like like December 1st almost. I, I feel like I woke up from, uh, I guess, Cyber Monday, uh, Cyber Monday sales, and, and rubbed my sleepy eyes and saw chapter approved show up and I was like, oh, it's chapter approved. It's here. Um, and it was it was interesting. Uh, chapter approved definitely did enough to help a lot of factions. Uh, of course, they did help Space Marines out a little bit as well, um, which is unfortunate. But um, I really appreciated the fact that chapter approved came early at the beginning of the month. And I don't know if it was planned or not. I don't know how GW plans that stuff, but, but I I'm glad that chapter proof came now instead of having us all wait in for an entire month only to be maybe be disappointed or, or maybe have more people leave the cancel their tournament plans or whatever. So I'm glad it came early. Uh, also the Las Vegas open hit a thousand over a thousand registered players. Uh, and, and that's a, uh, that's a big number. That's a number that us at Frontline gaming have always tried to reach. And just the fact that we have a tournament that has a thousand players, plus registered players and could potentially have a thousand people show up to the LVO, which, which probably isn't going to happen, but I can dream. It, it's just, it's amazing. Um, it just shows the level of growth and uh, consistent, you know, uh, fun that competitive 40 kids brought to the community. Uh, we oh, also hundred uh, percent. Yeah. We also had the Atlanta open happen in December and although I did kind of, uh, as a TO, as someone who who does understand w what it what you need to do to run a successful event, I did kind of scoff a little at the December date, um, which which I will humbly admit I, I'll eat my words now. Um, I thought the December date was was a bad idea. However, it was you know they got their players that they needed to, to play, and it was a good event. It was a good event that I think I'll look forward to next year in December. Right, so the Atlanta Open was the uh, event with the five thousand dollar grand prize. Uh, it was streamed really, really well, and I don't have any complaints. There were a lot of really amazing matchups between some top players at the event, and it happened in December. And if that's that's where they choose to stay every year, I think that's a perfectly reasonable date. It's interesting that the the tournament schedule is so crowded. 
um, that to try and like to, to try and find a weekend where you can build out a marquee event that's not going to crowd out at least a regional event. Um, it's it's really tricky. And in fact, that's one of the first sort of uh, landmines they stepped on in their journey to uh, launching the tournament was I think they originally had it on the weekend after Warzone Atlanta, which is in the same same town and very well established. And uh, luckily, they uh, they uh, were able to find another date to, to run it on. But overall, I was really this is again one of those things where it's sort of the 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 internet commentariat kicking and screaming. I know um, a lot of people were um, predisposed to thinking the worst of that tournament, even just from the concept, the word go. And I think there was definitely some uh, tone deaf initial uh, press releases and the, the way they approached, we're going to solve all the problems of competitive 40K was a bit heavy handed, definitely out of the, out of the gates, but overall fundamentally the concept and the, I guess the audacity of it to try and get sponsors to stream it at a really high quality level to, you know, attract sometimes, you know, uh, to even save spots for the best players that they could attract to the tournament. I thought the, the way they seeded it, the way that they tried to change how the actual structure of the tournament unfolded, it was innovative and they took a lot of risks. And I think at the very, at a minimum that deserves some kudos and, uh, they ate a lot of poop, uh, along the way trying to do that. And uh, hopefully they learn, they learn from their experiences and how to maybe engage with the community a bit more in a, in a more constructive way and uh, maybe take a bit more of a consultative approach um, for whatever the, they, they do next. And hopefully there is something next that we do see something more and that this isn't a one and done scenario. I, I do think um, they've got a lot that they can add to the community in, in, in what they're doing. Yeah. And that, for that, sure. that's the important thing too, right? Is uh, I really hope um, because what I got from, from their announcements was that, uh, they were going to do everything their way, which which is fine, right? That a lot of new TOs, a lot of people go come into events and and with that mentality, and that's good. That promotes change and innovation. However, I, I felt personally like it was a bit more like we are going to do it our way without any help at all from the community. And what I've seen, the thing that I love the most about this community is when TOs and large groups of people come together to create awesome events and create awesome moments and narratives. And so I hope next year, I hope they really take a step further and, and try and incorporate other events or, or something to put their event at the next level, because it could totally become a super major that we look forward to every year. Right. So it's just, it'll be interesting to see where their growth is. Um, and then uh, finally to move on, uh, Richard Siegler surpassed Jim Vessel we talked about him all episode, uh, kept poking his head in every now and then, waiting for the time to strike, and he finally did. And we actually got a really cool kind of a, a passing of the torch message from Jim Vessel congratulating Richard Siegler for for passing him, you know, in the ITC as the number one, um, which I also really liked. Uh, that's something that you see often in the sports world or in competition Um like, for example, when Hall of Famers, when their stats get uh, passed in, in specific professional sports, a lot of times they'll tweet something or, or post a congratulations. And I thought that was really cool. I, it was a nice, subtle thing that happened that, to me, uh, helped legitimize competitive 40K. So kudos to Jim Vessel. And also congratulations to Richard for, for making number one. Well, it's and, and crazy I'm... because the whole season it's been 
you know, it's been uncontested almost. Yeah. I mean, and it's like the final stretch and here we go. Like everybody just really pulling all the stops and we're really like into this home stretch. We'll see how, how it, it, it's really going to make Vegas very, very interesting as all these like top runners like end up fighting each other for the top spot. It's going to be great. Yeah, and I, actually, I think the I don't know the exact goals of the algorithm change. Another controversial topic from last year, um, but uh, you know the 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 very tippy top is not all that stratified. So a significant shift in the in the you know the final placings of the LVO could wind up with you know someone coming from the back of the pack and 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 taking it. Um, so, uh, I don't know. It's going to be an exciting photo finish. I think no one's, no one's crown is guaranteed. And, uh, I don't think also we've ever seen a, a lead change this late in the season. Am I, am I right about nope. that? Yeah. Nope. Never, never had a lead change this late in the season. We actually have had very little lead changes period. Um, you know, going into a season, uh, after, after, basically after Adepticon, once, once we start getting the big points, um, we see very little lead changes in terms of the top, which is really interesting. Yeah, and I think that speaks to of the proliferation of massive events where you could get that kind of a shift because, you know, I guess previously, once you're past Nova, there's really not, there wouldn't have been many other opportunities to catch up some major ground, but now, you know, you've got the option of, well, the team tournaments are adding to points. I think a lot of those guys, uh, well, some guys got extra points that way. A lot of the Europeans did. Um, you know, uh, you've got the London GT, you've got, um, uh, SoCal, uh, P could help. And every week more. we have a, and well, we, every week we have an 80 plus person yeah. major, um, w- at least, uh, which has completely changed everything. I mean, uh, if you look like Alliance open more than a hundred people, uh, CanCon will have uh, more than a hundred. Um, I mean, you can just go to 40 kstatscom and look and cause I put the numbers in there. Um, and it's just, you know, more than a hundred people, constantly and 80 80 person events still give out good numbers um more and more events are turning to six rounds which gets you more points um we're seeing the occasional seven and eight rounders um it's just it's all adding up to making um like the the itc a little more interesting going into those last few months where someone like richard who's had a pretty consistent season um can can you know come out on top despite you know jim winning you know six or seven events in a two or two month span or whatnot um somebody can at the end of the year still you know gotta replicate that and yeah, do the and same thing ahead. and that's yep and it's uh i like it i really like that that meta shift um it adds at least another aspect to this you know tale that we're telling ourselves as we watch these people play with plastic men yeah and and so uh <laughs> Uh, I don't know if Scary is still in here. Scary, you still here? No. Uh, so unfortunately, Scary did have to take off. Um, you know, he he had to go take care of some family things. Not a big deal. No worries. Uh, we will continue on the podcast without him. Though, if you do love listening to Gentleman Scary, I highly recommend checking him out at Scardcast on YouTube. Uh, signing up for his Patreon, he is truly someone I love having in the community and someone who produces content for his patrons and for his uh spire or, or uh, denizens of the dark city there you go that's what he calls them <laughs> um okay so uh well that's actually it uh we talked about december now let's just briefly talk about um what we expect to see in 20 or 2020 uh, I, I don't expect lvo predictions necessarily um but just kind of like what are some things that 
uh, you look forward to in 2020 and also uh, reflective, take a time to be reflective, uh, Peter and Val. 20, what are some highlights of 2019 uh, or some things that you maybe want to, you know, pay homage to or talk about uh, that happened to you this year? Like personally? Like, you know, whatever. Oh, okay. Um, well, I mean, I uh, came as close as I think I'll ever get to having a chance at maybe winning a GT with the Townar back in September. That was great. <laughs> yeah. Um, that was a, that was a nice run. Um, obviously the, the work we've gotten to do on, uh, on chapter tactics and the stat center has really been a lot of fun. Um, it's, uh, it's been, it's been great to, you know, feel like, you know, kind of at the center of something, something that, something cool that's, that's happening. I don't know. Not, not everyone gets to do that and being able to talk to and send messages to all these people who just won an event and it's kind of a big deal to them and chat with them about it and they get a kick out of you know, hearing themselves on the show and, and sharing their story. I, I think that's I don't know, a lot more fulfilling than I ever thought it would be. Um, making Pete hang out with me once a week, at least has been really great. <laughs> um, yeah, no, um, I just, it's, it's been, it's been a lot of fun and we're coming up on LVO. LVO is, is legitimately, um, you know, you hear people like it, especially when some of the, the original podcasters, you know, like the, the Tuttles and the, and and the the Paul Murphys and such, and I get kind of starry eyed when when they're talking about Adepticon. For me, that's LVO in a big way, and I'm so proud of the Frontline Gaming crew and how much that's grown, largely due to their efforts around that event itself, and um, as well as the stuff that they do outside of that event to grow the scene. It's just it's just such a great sort of touchstone for for competitive 40k and. So I guess looking forward, I guess immediately I'm just very pumped to go there. Yeah, this year has been really awesome. Um, I absolutely adore probably 98% of everything this community has to offer. <laughs> um, uh, there's a couple things, Dark Angels players and uh, no, I'm just joking. I, I like <laughs> most of you guys too. There's just a couple of you that are weird. Um, but like, uh, just like, like Val said, getting to talk to all these players consistently, whether via email, my website, um, talking to you guys, you're some of my best people in the uh, most favorite people in the world. You and uh, Pablo and Val and uh, and Sean and Scary Brandon, like just talking this game with so many people, uh, having the shared passion, getting to do this awesome podcast, uh, Chapter Tactics. Um, and just being like this, like a uh, lonely Canadian boy in the middle of nowhere of uh, the northern Alberta, you know, prairies, um, and still getting to experience all this is it's something that's uh, like a big and important part of my life. Uh, getting to hang out with Val every week, um, getting to travel a lot more this year, going to BAO and Reese letting me do commentary there. Uh, SoCal and hanging out with you and your family, Pablo. Um, going to Capital City Bloodbath and hanging out with Rob from the Honest Wargamer. Like that Heck was yeah. all like stuff that that I wouldn't have had a, like the opportunity to do or even thought of doing um, like a year and a half ago. I was just some dude sitting alone in an airport in the middle of the night listening to uh, uh, Pablo babble incoherently about uh, Warhammer and thinking, "Yeah, this guy knows what he's talking about." Um, <laughs> And now look at me. Now I have no idea what Pablo's talking about ever. And I still love it. So. I have to and looking say, forward, I mean, El sorry. 
Oh, no, I was just going to say, arguing with Pablo in those early years of Chapter Tactics, I think for both of us, was how we learned how to be podcasters. And then one day, sure. somehow, we got to actually argue in real life with Pablo. So everyone who's arguing with Pablo, just, just realize that you're, you're practicing your craft. He's teaching you. He should start a master class. <laughs> um, and I, I guess Pablo Martinez, long anecdote, and this is my <laughs> master class. <laughs> And uh, and yeah, LVO coming up. I'm so excited for that. I'm really excited for next year for a lot of reasons for this game because I think Pablo, you're right. GW has to have heard. Um, they, I mean, we might have to wait till April, but whatever. I can wait till April um, because we just talked about it earlier. Time flies. Um, it's hard to think that the Lord Discordant came out so long ago. Hard to think about you know certain changes that happened that feel like yesterday, but they were actually you know nine months ago. I can't believe so Gene Steeler called. I can't believe Gene Steeler Cult came out under a year ago. That that blew my mind when yeah. Pablo said that. <laughs> uh, Febu- February. Um, but I think the big thing out of this is like I really feel like we're coming on a time where this edition is just going to change. I mean, Val and I've talked about it. I think that we're going to see. I mean, maybe we won't, but I think like a ninth edition is coming. And if not, they. Uh, I think we need a like. I hope we're going to see a consolidation of everything. Even if it's an eight point, like here's your new eight point five codex. I don't care, but something that combines everything. That's what I look forward to possibly seeing once all the psychic awakening stuff is done, and we get to see what, like, the vision that GW has for all of the factions now that they kind of know what they want Eighth Edition to be, and that excites me. I mean, we like we've. I think Marines are still going to be like, you know, ahead above everybody else, but there won't be head and shoulders, and that's more important. Uh, right now, at least until the game develops a little further. Yeah, I, on that ninth edition note, I uh, I I also sense it. Um, you know, again, uninformed hot take, but the last time restarted playing AOS, you know, eight months later we had a new edition. Just saying, um, if you're listening <laughs> to signals, you can read the tea leaves. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, like ninth edition, I, I have to be pretty reserved in 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 like expectations for it because it's an interesting thing um where and i don't envy anyone in a position you know in the studio right now of deciding how do you actually shift gears here because we're used to even like if you think about the the jarring changes between like fifth and sixth which i didn't experience uh or even sixth to seventh um, you know, there, there can be some pretty significant changes and maybe looking to how AOS 2.0 rolled out, which I only know anecdotally as being generally favorable for the game. Um, maybe we can see something like that where there's a sort of a, a soft rollover and, uh, and, a, and a, you know, 2.0 for a lot of the books and, and you do get that consolidation Pete's talking about. And maybe that would be just enough to, um, to sort of reset the power levels and, uh, and, and make everyone feel competitive again. Yeah, because like we talked about, and I said a boot, uh, June through August, a boat. this game was in a pretty good state, uh, except for a couple of lists. It's not too hard to get back there. Um, and once we are, I think this this is a beautiful game to play. I love it. Like I said, I love everything about it. I love talking to people on discords and on Messenger um, because I share a common love of this of this weird thing that we do. Super strange. So. So, uh, in conclusion, uh, I think 2019 will be uh, definitely one of the big years to remember in competitive 40k's history. We had a lot of highs and, um, you know, the darkest of lows. Uh, the Space Marine winter is going to leave a lasting effect 
on competitive 40k and we're gonna see how gw handles it as a company uh when their flagship product is hurting their flagship product which is <laughs> space marines hurting their their 40k game um it'll be very interesting to see where we go and uh more importantly um if you're going to focus on one thing this year it's uh how the community rallied around uh adversity um and how positive that was for us as uh 40k consumers and players and hobbyists and people who just love this game so 2019 year in review i I would still say it was a really great year um I'm, I'm I give miss, it a B plus. <laughs> I, I I'm gonna miss Jeff so much, but um, just yeah. getting to podcast with him for this year, and then just watching the community rally around, uh, you know, the tragedy, and also the the game is is great, and it's something I'm looking forward to for next year. I'm looking forward to see where we go as a community next year, uh, and I'm pumped. So that's 2019, 2020. Come at me, bro. You're not going to be as hard as 2019 for sure. Uh, and also, yeah. the LVO is going to be sweet. So, gonna be what's going to happen <laughs> before we get to the Patreon questions? Uh, the LVO is is going to be bigger this year than ever. Not only in, in terms of 40k, but also other things. We have some big announcements coming up next month. Uh, last year, this year before LVO, we had some of our best episodes. Um, we had some great, great commentary. Expect the same thing. Expect lists coming early, some deep analysis, but with multiple podcasts to talk about it and to take different angles on it. It's mm. it's going to be big. I'm so excited it's for January. Sexual. I'm just waiting for, for us to move to Nevada so I can just jump into the LVO hype train. It's going to be great. I, I promise. Are so hard. Also, also, if you love Val and Peter, expect them to play a to make a to play a bigger role at this year's LVO in terms of coverage. So just yeah. that little that little tidbit, you know, information there. Um, but I'm excited. All right, I've already rented a costume. <laughs> so if you don't know, if this is your first time listening to this episode, first off, thank you very much for listening. Welcome. Second off, at the end of every episode, we do See, that's how he gets the, the floor out Pete. to. He's always so nice to everybody. Yeah, it's yeah we're just very mean. <laughs> You know, I try not to make fun of my Dark Angels players, um, <laughs> but you should though. Anyways, <laughs> something wrong. Anyways, uh, so at the end of every episode, we open up the floor to the patrons so they can ask questions in our Facebook group. Uh, so if you're interested in asking us a question or any of the prizes that we talked about at the beginning of the episode, head on over to Patreon.com/slash/ChapterTactics. Five dollar donation gets you into the Facebook group forever. You will never get kicked out. So if, even if you unsubscribe, because it's an administrative nightmare, it is yep. absolutely an administrative nightmare. One hundred percent. It you only get kicked out if you post annoying stuff all the time. And all right, all Pablo... right. <laughs> okay. Anyways, uh, first question goes to Mister uh, Kane. Who's going to be the surprise person that does not make the top eight at the LVO? It's a little too early for LVO predictions, so naturally we're going to give our little too early to LVO prediction prediction. What was the question? Starting, uh, who is a surprise person who is not going to make the top eight at the LVO? And I'm actually going to start oh, this one off because this is one I've considered already. And I actually think 
Jim Vessel will not make the top eight of Bellevue. <laughs> That's not a surprise. Oh my goodness. He was number one for so long. It'll be the first time the front His entire for list com- had to change. Uh, like, I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm rooting for him now as an underdog, actually. He, he yeah, is definitely sure. an underdog. But it's if you comp- if you told me four years ago or like two years ago that the ITC front runner, the guy who went twenty eight and one, won Adepticon, top four at Nova, would not make the top eight at the ITC, I, I would be like, are you sure? Like this, that's that's I mean, that's a uh, anyways. I just I, mean, I just top four at Nova, but that's I, okay. I just like to say that I just admire oh. the uh, with the enthusiasm with which he jumped on that grenade because uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Jim listens to everything and uh, he'll he'll be uh, he'll be commenting and I look forward to it. You know I can't win with Jim. I, I just maybe I should never <laughs> Me mention <too>. him at all. <laughs> I said he was going to do well at the BAO. You, you should. And he said no, Pablo, you're wrong. And now I'm saying he's he's not going to make the top eight at the LVO. And it's like duh. Anyways. <laughs> No, you can't win. You can't win. Also, Jim is well, just I mean, way absolutely. cooler than any of us. I mean, that's true. I mean, that's, that's true. He opened one his own of the key vegan. problems. <laughs> um, he's he's opened five of them, and I really yeah. hope he opens one in uh, northern Alberta soon. We're a key demographic. Hmm. All right, uh, Val and Peter, surprise person who's not going to make the top eight. That'll be a prediction. Uh, that's the thing well, about forty k about, about these predictions, you know. I mean, it's really? a thousand-person tournament, so like someone not making the top eight really can't be much of a surprise. That's called the hey, man. Uh, weasel out of the question. answer. Um, <laughs> I mean, like I could say anybody. It's true. Sean John Lennon's not going to make the top eight. Sean Nay, <laughs> calling you out. Boom. I'm Those calling you out, Captain surprises. Nay. You've made yeah. it. You've made uh, every. John top Lennon's eight. not going to make it unless he changes his list. Oh. Ooh. And he probably will. It's a good idea too. Yeah, it, yeah, it is interesting. Um, but anyways, uh, this one thing I always really enjoyed was the prediction segment um, because people, uh, uh, predictors, and not just in 40K, but in general in anything you follow, people who do predictions always get raked over their coals. You know, oh, yeah. just like like they're always wrong. Their analysis is always terrible. They're awful people. They don't know anything. And it's just so funny because almost every prediction, or yeah, every prediction is like basically a shot in the dark. Right, yeah, like it's just so fun. Anyways, I love making predictions just because they're fun. It's like gambling. Well, I was gonna say Nick Rose, but um, I will be at LVO, and if he's at LVO too, like I don't want to look everywhere while I'm walking through parking lots. Um, oh. so I went with John Lennon because I'm much bigger than him. <laughs> I don't think he knows karate. He has an ugly beard. Um, I know, he always and, looks uh, kind of like the Karate Kid, so I wouldn't. He does. Like... So there is a little bit of that, and he's got that Florida crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's a really good guy, and his list, uh, the way he plays his list, he generally doesn't get a lot of points. Um, so in an 1,000 person tournament, it's very possible he ends up, you know, not squeaking into that uh, top 12 uh, for the, the last day. That being said, um, like if he updates the list a little bit, uh, plays it a little more aggressively, he very well could be. Yep. So. But and that's would... that's that's my reasoning is that I don't want to be beaten up by Nick Rose, and uh, I think John Lennon needs to change his list, which he probably will because he's not a stupid person. And I want to say that if you're concerned about Nick Rose in a parking lot and you want to know where to find him, there's only one place to look, and that's behind you. 
Yeah, it's very true. <laughs> all right, all right. So moving on to patron Kelsey wants to know, how do we feel the 40K community currently compares to those of other editions? With how much the community has grown in 8th edition, I'm impressed that we've been able to keep things relatively classy. Or in- increasingly classy. The dark side of this event. I th- yeah. I think, I think actually, if anything, that this the, 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 the community has, and I, it, certainly the, the, the tournament scene has evolved i mean on this very show we talked about uh the the idea a lot of times how like especially during like the the tony got tonied moment like that those were the growing pains of a game kind of finding itself like how you know you kind of had to have those moments in order to react and correct for them and we've had them and we've also seen that there seems to be a, a culture of new players for some reason i i, I see them coming from florida um, but also other parts of the country that have a very different, again, the only way I can describe it is collegial or, or, um, you know, um, a very above board approach to the game with a lot of respect for the game, which is kind of neat. And, uh, oh, it's are, great, you know? So, yeah, I think, I think if anything, it's, it's, it's grown throughout eighth edition and it's unparalleled because I think the game is as mature now as it's ever been. And I think there's something to be said for, um, some of this growth coming from the uh, continued like televisation of the game, right? Like the majority of majors um, have some kind of uh, streaming coverage. A lot of them have commentary and um, like this stuff gets caught out now and we're seeing it. And like, and I'm not, I try not to say this to be negative because like, but like the bad stuff gets caught out, but also the good stuff, right? Like we talked about, um, Atlanta Open, like that finale was just full of sportsmanship. Even the the games running up to it, um, like there were no issues. Even like the most quote unquote heated uh, game got, the guys like hugged it out at the end. Um, and we saw the same thing at Nova. We saw like all these big events. And the the final the like the televisation of these games are just showing such excellent sportsmanship, almost all around. And uh, I, it's just it helps. It makes this game just so much easier to commercialize to talk to other people yeah. about right so anyway and and that's absolutely the the big community change that i felt was uh it, it felt like the average 40k person consumer so not just player um knew more about the tournament scene or or something than they would in the past right so you know in sixth edition i was told to play to play uh, Blood Angels and Space Wolves Missile Launcher Longfang Spam when I first started 6th edition because that was, quote-unquote, the good list. That was the net list, right? And and I realized very quickly that actually that was not the case, that those people that I talked to were more casual people who didn't focus on tournaments, um, more casually uh, in terms of their competitive, uh, focusing competitive 40k, I mean. So I, the information I got was was outdated consistently. Right, and the information I saw online on a lot of forums was also outdated. Uh, going into this year, where I really started seeing, just in general, the average uh, 40k consumers tournament IQ uh, was a lot higher. Right, and so I'm not calling them necessarily dumb in previous years, but it's just they knew more about 
40k tournaments than they did in previous years. The average random person comment I saw online, which is really cool. It leads to things like Brandon Grant being a quote-unquote household name, or as someone coined, I forgot who, a tabletop name, right? So Brandon Grant, uh, who has his own search engine optimization keyword now, where if you plug in Brandon Grant into your title, you're more likely to get hits than not, which is really interesting. Uh, and same thing with Nick Nanavati uh, and Nick Brown and Frontline Gaming and the ITC. So it's 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 a very much more aware community of the competitive side. And um, that doesn't mean that necessarily you should do competitive 40K. If you're someone who just likes hanging out with your buddies and painting, that's fine too. Um, I just overall, I think that this means that there's going to be more acceptance in this community, which is a good thing. So yeah, I 100% agree with all that, and it's, and also this goes to some of the stuff that we were talking about before. The fact that lists are being posted um, correctly, um, and and uh, are accessible. The fact that you can hear players explain how they actually did things. It's not people guessing on forums why a, why a list is good or bad. The, these are known quantities, and this is something that's actually really recent. This is stuff that's really come around in the last year or two. So it's not a surprise that, you know, and it's to my chagrin because I used to be able to win an RTT. Now, now, now <laughs> I can't really. Um, you know, uh, you know the, the general knowledge of the game has noticeably improved. And I think that has a lot to do with folks like yourself and us and all kinds of other content producers, which, by the way, is another big thing we like to do on the show is promote all the people who are, you know, given their time and their effort to making this game, you know, more accessible, more interesting, more narratives, all that stuff. So I think that's, that's the, the result of the community actually providing those things because it all starts from like app developers giving their time to create things like BCP and ITC battles app There's a cool dude in Hong Kong creating an uh, like augmented reality app for amazing measurements and stuff. Like there's, there's all these things that like people giving their very highly skilled time, even looking at the pro tabletop stream. He's a, he, that's, that's his job and he's doing it in 40 K at a, at a, at a pretty huge discount. So it's pretty neat what the people in this community are bringing to it and giving to it to give it more legs and, and more depth. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just waiting for, for the big push, right? Like 40 K is already big, right? It, it's, it's a huge market. It's a big IP. However, I'm just waiting for it to take critical mass. Um, you know, something in the form of like a Netflix series or I don't know, some something that brings it truly into the mainstream light, like like Star Wars level. Right. Because it, it, it can happen. It's it's hard. I'm not saying it's that it will happen, but I could see it happening. Um, and if that a, does happen, good. No, I was just going to say there's a couple I, I, I stumbled upon a um, I don't know if you've watched the Astartes. Um, it's sort of a series yeah. of like incredibly produced um, animated short features. And um, there's a series of reaction vids that are on YouTube of like normies and some of, yeah, there's usually people involved <laughs> yeah. in geek culture, but like they don't know what the grimdark is and, you know, they are having their minds blown by space Marines. And I'm just, I, I don't know if I'm ready for that. I'm not I'd like, I'm sure like people who really liked Game of Thrones kind of experienced this like 10 years ago where they were like, this was my, mm -hmm. like my favorite book. And now everyone's talking about it. I don't know how I feel about it. We'll have to see what that bridge is like when we cross it, but uh, I can definitely yeah. see I can definitely see uh, definitely attempts made to uh, bring 40k more into popular culture. Yeah, and my and, body's ready. <laughs> yeah, and that'll that'll be the next big step, right? So that's what we're that's what I'm personally shooting for when I try to grow the community is 
is to prepare everyone for that next big step and to obviously position myself so that I'm riding the wave too. So anyways, uh, uh, patron Tim wants to know what decisions by games workshop um, that have been made that may have seemed right at the time could be walked back on now, such as the role of three or boots on the ground, et cetera, et cetera. Um, thoughts of Alan Peter. Well, not those two things. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Don't, don't change those. Those were those were good ideas. Yeah, I yeah, think I, I know, think but... anything. Good, sorry, pal. No, I was gonna say they they kind of walked back a lot of the uh, um, you know first turn first turn sort of charges uh, stuff from uh, the Space Marines release on. It was kind of interesting how they brought that stuff back after facking so carefully to bring it out of the game. <laughs> um, but anyway, I digress. Um, I think a lot of it actually is a lot of the earliest points changes in the earliest um, chapter approved, um, uh, especially around Forge World models, but also a lot of uh, like s some units as well. I think they should go back and look at should those points just revert back to where they were. Um, for me personally, kill tanks for orcs is a good example of that. It went they went from like I don't know a sub three hundred point model, which is probably well, I don't know. I don't know how cheap that is, but maybe it was too cheap to like 400 plus uh, because it was being spammed. Um, and then very quickly after that, you couldn't spam anymore. So I think those kind of situations where points values were really inflated to prevent them from being over brought too much um, could be relooked at. Yeah, I'm not sure if there's like a big overarching rule that needs to to be gone back on. I, I'm quite sure that if you go through the, the smaller FAQs, there are a number of uh, fixes that were made to weaken certain aspects of armies that could probably just be reverted at this point, given the, the bonuses that people are seeing from Psychic Awakening and like Marines in general. Um, because it's it's a it's a power dampening that's no longer required. I mean, I've joked a couple times. Let's just bring back the castle into the way it was, etc. Um, don't. But um, <laughs> like like there's a there's a number like there's a lot of things that we could probably roll back um from a that were FAQ'd because at the time they were too powerful that obviously aren't any longer. Yeah. Like they're not things you, anybody should be scared of. So. Yeah. And, and, I mean, basically from the get go, for whatever reason, Grey Knights just have never been. They were they were nerfed like at the codex writing stage, and for some reason never even brought up to like the thousand suns level. So interestingly, they're both the both of those factions are in Psychic Awakening coming up, and hopefully early enough in January for the LVO. Ah, um, uh, yeah, we'll, um, so we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens there. There's actually a couple of Power Armor, uh, Chaos, and and uh, Imperium factions. I mean, Dark Angels, Grey Knights, um, Thousand Suns, and I can never remember that. Death I think Guard, there's a fourth yeah. one. Is it Death Watch in there? I don't know. Death anyway, it doesn't oh, matter. I don't remember. Yeah. Um, doesn't matter. But like, yeah, I'd love to see that because they were, uh, yeah, you could see. I remember Reese talking about maybe, um, sorry, the the index, uh, practicing with them and like some of the the tweaks to them and how they were originally super strong, probably because they could like crazy smite spam, and um, for some reason they never doubled back and gave them the same edge that other factions had. So hopefully they get some love. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think the only choice that GW or decision that GW made that could probably be rolled back is the decision to incrementally buff Space Marines because Space Marines have been getting buffed for two years now, plus now, right? They got two points decreases in chapter approved in a row. They got their Bolter mm -hmm. Drill in January mm -hmm. and then Angels. You know, so I think 
I think if you look at some of those old editions of chapter approved and look at the Space Marine points values there, uh, and then kind of like apply them to the current Space Marines, I think that might be a good place to look. But basically, um, reverting some of the buffs Space Marines got collectively over the course of three years or whatever, right? So I think they could probably do something like that. All right, next question. What faction do you think is the dark horse for 2020 tournament success? Mm. Oh, it's probably one of the garbage factions currently. Um, <laughs> I think it'll be a faction in Psychic Awakening. I mean, yeah. I mean, unless we see some drastic change, I think. Uh... So I've got a prediction. I, if you okay, if you give me yours because yeah. you've actually seen some of it. Yeah. Uh, well, um, <laughs> and then I'll say, and then I'll copy your. So, example. so anyway. I think so. This is not this is not coming from from a place of knowing more than you. This is also a shot in the dark prediction. But uh, there, I think there's a little bit of merit to it. I actually think Grey Knights are going to be a uh, dark horse faction for tournament success. I think we'll see a lot more Grey Knight players come out of the woodworks. They're a super popular faction. Oh yeah. Um, and and you know, yeah. we might not see them get Inari levels of success or or Space Marine levels of success, but I think you'll definitely see them become like a gatekeeper army after Psychic Awakening because they have so much potential in that book already and they got a ton of like good buffs recently right so yeah just for uh, you points, know yeah I, yeah yeah so so i could definitely see gray knights becoming a crazy like good dark horse faction where like maybe even like a top five faction um, i think anything that's in power armor that may or may not and will probably get uh like the codex discipline stuff mm -hmm. is is going to be a competitor next oh, yeah. year uh, for sure right oh, yeah. like dark angels Space Wolves. Uh, we're already seeing people switching to Blood Angels or taking Blood Angels now as a as a secondary option over Raven Guard or White Scars or together with them, um, like in in preparation for lists because uh, like Sanguinary Guard and a lot of the Blood Angel characters are so strong in that new uh, that new release. Um, and I can't imagine that Dark Angels, Space Wolves, etc., will be left out in the cold. And yeah, Grey Knights having that extra psychic advantage in a book called Psychic Awakening. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I don't. Th I think you're right that they they will probably see a pretty strong resurgence. Um, I think if I'm going to go dark horse and try to stay away from power armor, I'm going to take a swing at Necron. No, um, oh, I was going to do that. <laughs> oh, I, my reasoning is like people have been very vocal about how bad Necrons have been. Yep. Um, since the Necron Codex came out and was rather lackluster, right? Um, they've seen a number of point decreases. Yeah. Um, they have a build that's been working for months um, that people forget about off and on. Um, and so depending on what they get out of Psychic Awakening, if they get like the Tyranid treatment, maybe I'll feel bad for them. Um, but if they if they get anything good, I, I think it immediately jumps them into that like quote unquote Dark Horse is going to win something big and people are, are uh, should not be shocked about it. I think... Yeah, depending on what, like, so you you, you can kind of uh, assume they'll get a, because, you know, their two world tactics or whatever are tied to um, two worlds that have one ability. So if they get a mix and match, um, make your own two world type rule, and depending on what mechanics they're given in those rules, you know, you they, and GW does this where they don't spreadsheet and understand the impact of, you know, giving a, you know, a plus one modifier here or reroll there, you know, you could suddenly see a massive increase in their, in their uh, resiliency, or you could suddenly see, you know, um, reanimation protocols just going off 
like, uh, you know, with, with, with much more effectiveness or any number of different things, or if they got a couple extra strats or, or a couple relics that even if they just got a master artisans equivalent, like uh, Eldar and space Marines get that, that's a huge boost, especially with stuff like Tesla, where you can now fish for sixes. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, there's a lot of gameplay out of Necrons, uh, that, you know, I'm sure if GW has been listening like I can't imagine they're uh, that they aren't buffing them, and and my my thought is they may over overdo it. And that's, I think that's where my thinking is going. For for me, like just from you know watching sports, defense wins championships. I see. I think you see that in 40k all the time. Resiliency, the ability to have the option of having damage output over longer periods of the game just by surviving is an incredible asset, which I think is what large yeah. reason why Iron Hands are so good. Um, and uh, and I could see Necrons just from their fluff. I could see them zeroing uh, zeroing in on the fact that they're not tough enough right now. And they kept um, warriors around the same spot as far as points were concerned. They didn't get they didn't get changes in certain areas that suggest to me that you might see the Crons get more resilient. And they have crazy damage output right now. They just maybe don't stay on the table. So I don't know. I I fully agree with Pete. I think uh, if Crons get the right rules and they have a Pretty fervent fan base somehow. I think they're the derpiest faction out there. Um, that's my own taste. Um, I think Krons could suddenly just come out seemingly out of nowhere. Rise from the dead, if you Interesting. will. Interesting. Yeah. Um on Ooh. that on that defense wins championship topic, that's that'd be a great episode topic in the future. Obviously not right now. I won't expand on that, but that's just a very interesting topic. We're only two hours in, Pablo. Let's start it right now. <laughs> All right, next question. Uh, the removal of blast templates from the game, bad decision or the worst decision? Now, I'm going to answer this, and then you two can agree or disagree. Go ahead. A good decision. <laughs> <laughs> Not one of your Moving options. on. <laughs> uh, no, but amazing. seriously, seriously You're though. You're right. The, the, I have the, it is. I, I almost immediately threw them all in like a giveaway bin at a, a, I also a, a garage all right exchange. Yes, I, I have a bunch of custom Ultramarines ones with my name on them. Threw them away. I was like, nope, that's it. I just and, and maybe Jason, uh, the patron, maybe he didn't play very often in seventh edition because there were a lot of people who played in eighth edition who actually never played in seventh edition because we're getting to that point now. Um, the the bla- the template looks so cool. I think optically it looks really cool because because you've got physical representation and it can maybe potentially be better than like D three or D six because that variance mm-hmm. can feel really bad sometimes, especially when you roll a yeah. one for damage. But so when the template but, but, scatters, but, <laughs> it's yeah. just it's and all the extra time measuring. Yeah, and, it's just so and fighting. Like, like, oh, it's because you're at that angle. It only hits four guys. Yeah. And, and if you, you just think get... that that uh, playing, uh, you know, it, at the highest level, it takes a long time now. Um, just imagine people running horde armies or just large units while they had the space two inches between every model because you don't you want to minimize the amount of template shots that you take. Like it was, you know, I just I I think template removing templates was like one of the better decisions. It was a good idea. Good job, GW. Yep. Yep. Now remove dice. Yep. Maybe don't make it so the flamers can hit planes, but whatever. <laughs> well, yeah, you I agree. Do you, boo. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm anyways, gonna, I'm next question. And, and Jason, I, I'm not trying to make fun of you either, the patron. Um, I'm just, I'm just trying to say that I, this is an argument I've heard online a lot, uh, and it's just unfortunately, I think that the templates are should be stay away from the game. So, anyways, uh, next question, patron Ant wants to know how many drop pods does everyone on the show own? Where are they now? Uh. 
Val. Um, zero. And Nick Manavati's been playing with him, but I, I don't get it. I don't get uh, how drop pods one, are good, period. One drop pod with Grav Cannon Devastators in them is amazing. It's it's really good it's unless so you're good. running like Raven Guard or something. But, but that, my point is, is just like I played against a guy who had uh, a Leviathan Dreadnought and Drop Pod, and he dropped it down. He's like, ah. And then I just charged the Dreadnought standing next to the Leviathan and tagged the Leviathan. You know, like it's just, you can just sit next to the Dreadnought for like an entire game. Like your whole army can hide from everything for the entire game just because there's a drop pod there i just mm. i just see it as like always being a liability and i'm also not very good at 40k so i maybe i'm missing something that's fair how many do you own peter i oh, assume pete like has lost, a good uh, stock of them we might have might have lost them yeah we might have lost them to connection issues uh i so i only own one now um however i used to own 17 drop pods i used to own Good 12 God. blue ultramarines ones and i used did to you, own five did you have that space wolf ones. Oh, okay oh no i didn't have a one space wolf one i didn't play in that time but uh i did own uh 17 at one point uh and and i always bragged mm. about uh you know having them and i used to play it in any apoc game that i could find so that i could drop my 16 or 17 drop pods down on turn one because you could do that in apoc and and i always thought that looked so cool so anyway, so I, I collected as many drop pods as I could and then immediately sold them all uh, when I found out drop pods were not going to be good. And I will not Aww. say when I found out, but it, I definitely did <laughs> well, find it. Well, I own one that I got when I bought a Deathwatch Army off a dude. Um, I oh. used to own, uh, back in 5th edition, I own six for my Space Wolves Army because back in 5th edition, Space Wolves couldn't, uh, Terminators, they couldn't teleport. Um, they had a rule in their book that was very fluffy that they believed that teleportation was sorcery and the demon magic. Um, so you had to use drop pods if you wanted to uh, deep strike in your terminators. And so I had them just for that. Hmm. Nice. All right. Uh, patron Chip wants to know, what is an old rule or unit that you'd like to see come back? I have an answer, but you two can. Old rule or unit you'd like to see come back. All right, I'm just gonna go. Uh, Inquisitor Valeria. Ooh. I actually wrote. Uh, I actually wrote a fan fiction. Oh no! Uh, it was a. It was an entrant for uh, when GW wanted authors or writers uh, for books they were hiring, and I wrote this. And I, Inquisitor Valeria has always been my favorite Inquisitor model. I love the idea of a rogue Xenos Inquisitor that uses Xenos tech against Xenos, and and how that like that style of personality clashes with other inquisitors and i like i've always liked the idea of like a strong female lead you know like like in a a, a book or a story like i read a lot of the sci-fi books that i read have like these really strong female characters that are like larger than life so i always kind of imagined her that like that and when they removed inquisitor valeria i was very upset i i had uh two custom inquisitor valeria models one that i made and painted myself <laughs> another that i got professionally commissioned and kitbashed and painted for myself that cost a little too much money than I care to admit. I, just, I was just obsessed with this this obscure Inquisitor model in the 5th edition Grey Knight Codex. And so I'd love to see her come back. GW, if you do, I will release my fanfiction, Inquisitor Valeria fanfiction, to the world so that everyone can collectively laugh at me. Maybe who, maybe that's who uh, Greyfax Grey or whatever was supposed to be. That is... That, well, Greyfax actually actually killed Inquisitor Valeria in the fluff. 
which I was oh, even no. more mad by. Yeah, oh, I was like, Grafex came out of nowhere in the uh, the Gilliman book. The um, what were they, those books called? The oh, Rise of Inari. The um, what were those books called? The yeah, Dark oh my gosh. books. No, no, the one where Gilliman got revived. It Sup- was like Super Friends battling the universe. No, I can't remember. It, they were really it was good all very books. Silly. It was it was a trilogy. Yes. And the first one was uh, Inquisitor, Greyfax, Celestine, and uh, Cipher. And I'm, I'm, it's killing me. Amazing Spider Man. Yeah, but anyway, the Triumvirates is where the Triumvirates came from. But anyways, yeah, yeah, in that book, Greyfax killed Valeria. She was like her arch nemesis, and and there's like a Necron guy who like talks to Greyfax about what he did to Valeria, and Greyfax is like, "I'll do anything." Don't you remember Valeria? And he's like, "Oh, I remember." Anyways. So it doesn't matter. That's the way too much, way too much time to spend talking about an obscure model that they're never going to bring back. Um, just, I would I'll love throw one out there. Oh, you do it. Do go it. ahead. No, there you, you go. You, no, no, man. After you. Oh, Sorry. Canadians. Asdrubal Vex. This is called the Canadian standoff. Asdrubal Vex. Oh. They should bring back him. Digging deep. That's not deep. Vect, yeah. He's like Digging the deep. head of all the Drukari. Why? And I mean, that's what Scari would have said. So I gotta no, say. I it. mean, like everyone, everyone would say that. I'm oh. gonna say the Lord Solar Macarius. Oh no, he's a he's a garbage. The greatest general in Imperial yeah. history. We might as well take. I Caiaphas just remember. I, I I I very co- much coveted that um that that golden model he had, and actually it went on oh, with, um, with the pimp cane. The, uh, it went on one of those uh you know. Uh, one week only you can buy a back or back back catalog item it was on there when they first started doing that and i bought a lord solar macarius so i have one nice. now one thing though i would like to say is that legends made me realize something which is that they're preserving all of these things that maybe didn't make the jump from index to codex but really where there was the great extinction of all kinds of stuff was the jump from i guess what was it fifth to sixth that's when all these guys yep. got cut right so yep. like there's actually a the whole back finish. catalog like there's the uh there's so there's Necron dudes the um the null they're like null guys um yeah the oh. the lady Dark Eldar chick a lot of the Dark Eldar characters actually a lot of the Dark Eldar named characters a lot of Imperial Guard uh, a lot the of the Baron yeah. and some of them yeah, even had models the Baron? Yeah. yeah some of them did have models yeah there was there was a big purge um in from fifth to sixth uh okay uh next question um. Should they do a gray and black Tau color scheme with a purple OSL or a red and orange uh, color scheme? Red and orange, eh? Red and... Oh, no, I'm that. sorry. It's, I'm sorry. It's gray and black with either purple OSL or gray and black with red or orange OSL. Um, I'm going to say blue OSL. Pablo, why? Red and black. Why do you always have to pick an option they didn't even give you? He's so mad right now. My absolute... I, my, well, I'm going to do the same because I, I'm having trouble visualizing either of those options. I'm sh- sure they might be great. My favorite Tau paint scheme is someone notable, but it's like a gray and a yellow, and I think it looks amazing. I would almost want to. I wish I wish I could go back and do it that way. You so gray do the pollen, with yellow. Like, uh, pollen scheme. Yes. Is that is that pollens? Yes. Yeah, it's Brian Pollen. Yeah. yeah. Okay, there you go. So yeah, it's gorgeous. Um, if you're gonna go with, if you only can, if you have to do one or the other, I would do the purple dude. Do purple, gray, yeah, gray, pur- black, and purple, or gray, whatever, and yeah. purple. I think that's to the color pie. Yeah. Yeah. It's got to be a light gray, though. I would yeah. think. Yeah. Otherwise, uh, it's gonna be a really like a blue gray. washed out model. I think. Well, I think you could do because... like a bright purple with like a, a darker gray, and it'll be fine. Like uh, anyway. Maybe now. Well, it depends on your gray, your shade of gray. Yeah, uh, it depends on your shade of gray, uh, Nate. 
Um, uh, but I would say purple, gray, and black are all gold colors or uh, cold colors. So I would go with purple over red and orange, which is kind of a hot color, which doesn't really clash as well with gray. But anyways, what do I know? I don't paint. And that's it. Actually, that's the last uh, question. Thank you so Same much for listening. So. That, the questions lasted a little longer than I expected. Um, when however, don't they? If you expected, if you lasted this long, thank you so much for listening. Uh, and as always, people if eat you decide to support us, go to the Patreon. Check that out. I did. Definitely did. All right. Uh, Val and Peter, what can mm. they expect out of 40K Stat Center coming out later this month? Um, well, we have been on an accidental hiatus because of me, um, but uh, we actually, just before recording this, we have been marathon podcasters today, and we actually got um, the first three weeks in the can, and then we're, um, aside from maybe some little special Christmas treats, uh, going to take a break until the first week of January, and I think I'll probably drop, I haven't actually talked about this with Pete, but I think I'll probably release the episode on, uh, I guess, Wednesday morning, so after this drops. Uh, so that way, you know, Chapter Tactics has space to breathe, and then our episode will come out. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, like Val said, we've got uh, uh, that. Well, I think I have a special episode that'll come out sometime around Christmas or New Year's, depending on uh, on some things. I want to get out, like, a year-in-review stats episode out. Um, we'll probably do that on the Stat Center side. I'm not sure who I'll have as a co-host, if it'll be Val or Val and Pablo or... I don't know, some kind of crazed monkey. We'll work out something. I mean, I'll, okay, I'll come. I know, I know, Val, You're a very busy it. man. Uh, but I just, I, I think we could do something special. And then we've got our um, uh, kind of road to LVO specials that we'll be releasing in January. Yeah, those will be awesome. Uh, every year, I, I try to bring out the the best episodes and the best content with the best guests. And now that we've got more podcasts to do it, it's going to be amazing. Yeah, it's going to be great. All right. Yep. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening. Head over to 40K Stat Center. Go to 40KStats.com and give Peter money for his pay- through his Patreon. And as always, thank you for being the less- best listeners in the world. And have a good one. Bye-bye. Later.